Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hunting Seasons, the podcast that dares to binge watch, deep dive, and break down a season of television each and every episode. I'm Broderick Gordis. I'm Damask Leary. And today we'll be discussing The Legend of Korra, book four, Balance. Damask Leary, how are you? Quite well, thank you. That's good, that's good. You know how good I am? How good are you? Yesterday, well last night, I was in bed with my cat Mao, Mm. and... We were cuddling in such a way that we've never been able to cuddle before because, as we all know, cats are, you know, a little a little iffy about a lot of contact. That just depends on the cat you're talking that's about. True. I cuddle with my cat every single night in quite an intimate fashion. I know. You hold Arnold like a baby. That's true. But I got um, this Miss Mao quite late in the game. Yes. Um, and so I, I cuddled her in which her head was resting on my shoulder. Her arms were over my right arm and we were just I was just like holding her like that. And I started crying because it was so beautiful. It, like I've never been happier. So they, that's how I am. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm. I'm going to brag a little bit. That is. That is nightly. Like, which is beautiful. But having like oh, adopted no, my child, yes, yes, yes. it's you know, and I've never wanted to push her boundaries. Yeah. But this just magically happened. There is something very nice. Oh. I'll go to bed and I'll leave Arnold out mm. on the couch, and then like fifteen minutes later, hear the door open, mm. hear him jump onto the bed, and just crawl up. And like snuggle into my like my armpit, yeah. and then just start purring. Yeah. See, I'll spoon Mao every night, oh, okay. which is really lovely. Like we are very close, but sure. she's never let me like have my arms fully like wrapped around her. Like I'm holding on to her. Like she's she is trapped like as an sure. animal in that situation, and she's fully relaxed and purring. Oh, That's it was lovely. so good. It was so so good. I saw you mention the other day, I think on Twitter, that mm. she allowed you to touch her. Oh, Pause. she loves when I play with her beans. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just a little squidgy bean. Oh, she loves it. It is nice to have. She that likes connection. a little foot massage, which yeah. I really enjoy. I'm like, fair enough. Who doesn't? Do you know what we're doing in twelve hours? <gasps> I don't know what we're doing. Do you know what we're doing? I know what we're doing. Oh, tell the people. We're seeing Avengers Endgame, oh, baby. Oh my god, I'm so excited! It's less than twelve hours away. It is less than twelve. Although hours. if you factor in trailers, it probably is twelve. We have hours to be away. up in about ten hours. That's fine. Oh, probably nine hours. Actually, shit. Yeah, I, yeah. We got we got to go to bed soon. No, well, I have to stay up because I'm going to our friend's story night tomorrow night, and I haven't written the story yet. So oh shit! I do that tonight. You're gonna fall asleep. This is a three hour movie. Yeah, no, I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware. I'm What's awake. new? All right, let's get into off topic, hot topic. <laughs> wow. <laughs> off topic, hot topic. Uh. 
That's whatever you were talking about for you. Off Topic Hot Topic is our news and views segment. We get to talk about the headlines of the TV world and discuss the stuff we've been watching that isn't this episode's season of television. If you'd like to contribute a topic or story to Off Topic Hot Topic, you can do so by emailing us at contact at huntingseasonspodcast.com or tweeting us at huntingscast. News in fuller. <gasps> what is that? The top hit when mm. I went searching for Brian Fuller and like the news, like you put on Brian Fuller and then click the news tab in Google, so it gives you the I relevant news. I know how news, the internet right? works, yeah. Right. <laughs> the top hit this week mm. was an obituary for Alabama woman Elizabeth Brian Fuller. Oh, I'm so sorry. Which I, uh, you know, blessings to Elizabeth Brian Fuller. Blessings? Uh, re- no one says rest that. Rest in peace. I don't know. I'm terrible when it comes to death And the stuff. blessings to you. I just kind of wanted to talk about what that means for Brian Fuller as an entity. Where if I type in this gentleman's name. Oh, true. And this is, this is the top news headline yeah. currently. I work in marketing and copywriting. That SEO is, is not working out. terrible right now. Brian, get your game together. Get something going, buddy. A uh, few headlines <laughs> for you. He doesn't have a problem getting things going. <laughs> it's completing it. <laughs> Shit. Uh, some headlines. Speaking of Brian Fuller, mm. yeah, sort of. Uh, so, some news came out this week. I was made aware of it by our uh, by listener Steve. I woke up. I love Steve. I love Steve too. Oh. Thank you, Steve. He uh, <laughs> thought of me when he saw this news and uh, tagged me on Twitter. Why the lo- so I should actually no I'll go back a step in he tweet he actually the direct tweet that I'm about to talk about he sent that to me and the comment that was there mm-hmm. I was a very sad man I'll give the headline though from the Variety article why the last man showrunners exit FX series so for those who don't remember uh, I'm a big why the last man fan why the last man being a graphic novel series it's been talked about being made into a Movie for ages, finally a television show. FX picked it up and it got showrunners. Uh, one of them, there were the two showrunners being uh, Mashaka Kroll and Michael Green. Michael Green was a showrunner, co-showrunner on American Gods with Brian Fuller, hence the mm-hmm. connection. So, uh, I'm just going to read a bit of a quote from Joe Otterson at Variety. This tweet came from Ada Kroll. Um, Sad news for fans of Why the Last Man today. FX has decided not to move forward with our series in its current form. We are grateful for everyone who came together to make our pilot and build the world of Why. We hoped to reward their talent and their trust, not just with success, but with a show that had something to say in a time when things must be said. As Why fans ourselves, we hope the future allows just that. So this tweet was from Ada, Mashaka, Kroll, and... Uh, Michael Green. And so that initial tweet was what got sent to me mm-hmm. from Steve. Yeah. How did that sound to you when you hear that? Well, because I think I saw you like or comment on it or whatever and or you retweeted it. Yeah. And I was so upset for you. And I like, okay, so generally how Broad and my friendship works is when bad things happen abroad, I laugh. And when bad things happen to me, Broad looks after me. That's just the <laughs> dynamic we have. Um, inaccurate. Broad's, no. <laughs> Broad's a little tougher than I am. Um, and so, but this, well, I was like, oh, fuck, that sucks for Broad because it was like the one thing that he was so excited about and he, he fucking loves that comic series. I was I was genuinely upset for you when I saw that. I was like, oh, no. So I was, so it sounds bad. It, it sounds, sounds like, it's, like it's gone, right? It yeah. sounds like they've gone from a pilot to getting a full series run to, oh, we're just yeah. not going to do it anymore. It sounds like they were just like, actually, no, it's not going to work out. We're done with it. Just the show is gone. Yeah. So apparently, since then, the Variety article goes on to say, a spokesperson for FX said the network is still planning to move forward with the series with the current cast. They're just getting rid of 
the showrunners. Oh, oh. So that in my initial reaction, I think this one that Steve maybe has he understood it was was oh my god, the show is just dead. Mm. It's just once again the curses hit why the last man and why the last man fans can't have anything nice apparently. Yep. Um uh, but apparently that's not true. It's just the showrunners have been moved off it. The, oh, the way okay. they worded that statement, because they sound quite bitter in their tweet, yeah. <laughs> is that the FX may have um, taken them off the show because of the direction of like what politically, what message they were trying to achieve with it, which is oh. Oh, the, the, so they say, we hope to reward their talent and their trust, not just with success, but with a show that has something to say in a time when things must be said. As Y fans ourselves, we hope the future allows just that. It sounds like to me mm. like it had something to do with the political direction of the show mm-hmm. or su- the message they were trying to bring through, which, I mean, it's a politically charged comic. It's yeah. it's very much about gender politics, if nothing else, and global politics, really. Um, so that's interesting in itself. Does this mean if we still get Why the Last Man is it a neutered version of it or is this a little bit of an overreaction from the showrunners? Michael Green, who apparently has caught Fulleria, as I like to call it, from Brian Fuller and has been once again kicked off his show. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Interesting, interesting news. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when the show comes out where it sits to be like, well, what political message did you guys have? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I think we'll have to wait and see before that. Th- there's no way to- the show can be apolitical. No, 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 not at all. Impossible. So what were they yeah. going to do? It'll be interesting to see if we find out one day. Uh, everything you need to know about Disney Plus. <gasps> going to uh, okay. give you some details. Yes, please. Most of these details can be found um, at a Slash Film article. Uh, this one's written by Y Trambui. Um, so let's go through it. There was a big sort of event that happened. It's a couple of weeks ago now. Yes, we're a bit behind the news because of the two-week break between episodes at the moment. But here's what we know. The Disney streaming service, Disney Plus will launch in the USA on November 12, 2019 mm-hmm. and will roll out over major regions um, over the next two years. We don't know exactly what that means for Australia. I imagine Wait, it's... Wait, l- so what are the major regions? Uh, so America I think and... It's like America, then I think it goes to the Western Europe, um, then to Asia and South America, I think the main ones they're talking okay. about at the moment. When they well, say when Asia... You say Asia, do you mean China? They just said Asia in the article. I just said Asia. So that can be a lot of different places. China would be one of them, theoretically. Japan as well. Austral Asia? Well, sometimes Asia, region-wise, doesn't end up meaning Australia as well. Yeah. So it could mean that. Though the thing that makes me wonder um, how long it will be is that in Australia, a streaming service called Stan pretty recently got, Mm. as far as we're aware, from what I understand, a two-year exclusivity deal to a lot of Disney stuff, including the Marvel films. They've been advertising that a lot around Advertising Melbourne. the fuck out of Fair it. Fair enough. Endgame's about to come out. They're like, watch it all before it comes out. Totally. And they got that after Netflix had been the person used to go to. Like, yeah. they had a lot of the Marvel I stuff for Stan, a while. I love Stan, can I say? Yeah, Stan's oh, got great they, content. Yeah, so good. Um, they got a lot of good Australian content as mm. well, which yeah. Netflix does fucking nothing Way for. more than Netflix. Not hard to do. No. Uh, but... The uh, yeah, so what whether that means they're gonna have to wait till that deal ends, whether they come up before that, but the Marvel stuff stays on stand for a while, we'll see. Anyway, not relevant to too many people except Australian listeners. Um, it will cost six dollars ninety nine US a month, which compared to Netflix is about two dollars cheaper. That's eight dollars ninety nine. Sweet. Uh, I haven't double checked what whether that's their base rate for Netflix because there are tiers as well depending yeah. on whether you get in. You know, um, I assume you get you have the top tier Netflix. I do because yeah. the top tier Netflix has four K, yeah, HDR. Because I have like the top tier Stan or whatever. Yep. Is that just for more devices more than anything, or 
Um, more devices than HD and, and HD. stuff. Um, but then I don't have that on Netflix because I've got <laughs> an interesting relationship with my ex girlfriend, in which she pays for the Netflix and I pay for the stand. And we haven't divided that yet. But she doesn't pay for the top tier Netflix, so I don't have access to that. Anyway, go on. Gotcha. Have you thought about doing something? You have housemates, like coming up with some sort of like. Well, I'm pretty sure both my housemates like use their mums, so oh. we haven't. When I move in with my new girlfriend, then we'll... Oh, is that going to happen? Is it? I don't know. Eventually. That's exciting. <laughs> eventually. There's that's no a, plans. That's a reality check right there. That's some news. <laughs> uh, excellent. Uh, we, we'll launch, apparently, with mm-hmm. all Disney animated films. Now, this seems very broad, right? From at, Yeah. At the very least, it's going to be their signature Disney signature films will launch, which is... Pardon me, being What's HD. A signature Disney it's been film? like the 4K HD re-releases of like Snow White, yeah, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. So you know how they sort of release mm-hmm. them from the vault eventually, or they have a Please diamond have release and stuff Please like that. Um, though, if you look at the actual graphics they've shown for it, it includes like all sorts of stuff, like mm. pretty broad, wide range of things. You might be surprised. Um, we do know that it won't include Song of the South. And it won't include the Jim Crow scene from Dumbo either. They're going to take that out. Good. Which, yes, good, right? Like <laughs> face value, very, very good thing. Some people have suggested that um, they could have done what Warner Brothers has done because they've got a sorted history with some of their cartoons as mm. well. And they have kept them around, but they all come with like prefaces that talk about how like this is not appropriate anymore. It was a mm. simple time. And sometimes there's value in that because you have to learn from history. You don't want to erase history, right? Yeah. Um, Disney probably wants to be a little bit squeaky cleaner than that. And well, Disney that. have a diff- a different approach to branding, and I think they've mastered it, and they are very strict on how they brand themselves. So it's you think a about bit of a the different whole game. James Gunn stuff and what that was all about. Yeah, very reactionary, but that was very mm. in line with their branding stuff. Uh, but also, as people have said, if you want to find the Song of the South and the Jim Crow scene from Dumbo, YouTube it. It's it's out there. Yeah, it's not like it's going to disappear into the if ether. If they had like oh. Do you reckon they'll have like special feature kind of stuff about there? Because it's like when you buy a Disney DVD, mm. there's so much good like extra content. I'd be surprised. Oh, I love that shit. I, I think. Particularly like when looking at like those really old school classic Disney movies, just seeing how they were made has always been like such a part of the magic for me. I think that's why you still buy the physical releases, mm. right? Is that you have those sorts of things on there. And that's why you'd buy them. Because they want to still sell their things on disc. Yeah. They just want to have the streaming service as well. How much longer though? It's not going to last that much longer. I I personally would like physical releases to last as long as possible because... I know you personally would, Brad. I'm <laughs> saying how much longer is that going to be a tangible it, it, model for it them? It is a horrible future if we end up not owning any of the content that we watch anymore. Like, of course it's going to happen because then like they get to sell you stuff without you actually owning it. So they can sell it to you later. Oh. Yeah, that's that's where we're going. <laughs> uh, it's going to come with the full Pixar collection, including their shorts. Over cool. W- There's so many I've missed. There's like awesome. 30 of them or something like that will all be on there. Over 100 Disney Channel movies and 5,000 episodes of Disney Channel television shows. Mm-hmm. At least 12. <gasps> yes. They will have Liz McGuire. They will have Liz McGuire. Yeah. At least 12 Marvel movies on day one, including Captain Marvel and Avengers Endgame, which mm. ha- will have only 
just sort of been our cinemas and had a home release at that point. Um, the question there being, if it's only tw- you know at least twelve, does that mean the Marvel films will be on rotation, or are they mm. waiting for certain rights to come back? Interesting. Yeah. Who knows what's going on there? All Star Wars movies, including Rogue One and Solo. The question being, which versions of them are going to be getting? This will be the first time that Disney has released the original trilogy. The original trilogy has gone through oh, several different iterations and remasters. Yeah. So are we going to get? A the remastered versions, or are we going to get the demastered, but like like the cleaned up versions, but not the ones that have the digital editions that Lucas put in nineteen ninety seven or whenever the VHS releases were and stuff like that. Mm. And then again on the Blu rays. You know, so I grew up with a VHS version of Star Wars, mm. but it was recorded on the TV, mm. and it was from when I was like about four. So it was before all of that extra right. stuff. So yep. that was the Star Wars that I thankfully grew up with, and then I obviously. Then it came out when we were kids at the movies and you went and saw it in the movies. So, and that was all you could get after that. That's the version I remember. I remember yeah. going to see New Hope, Empire, Jedi mm. at the cinemas with my dad and then owning those VHS versions. Mm. And then after that, they obviously, episode one came out and then like, away, you know, off of the races at that point. And oh, that's like, interesting, yeah. Yeah, so they, uh, Disney have not had a release of those DVDs yet. That was Fox and now Fox has just been bought by Disney. Uh, so that, cause, Sorry, yeah, that's the interesting thing. Disney owned Lucasfilm, but they didn't own Fox. Fox still had some amount of rights, I believe, to (laughs) Star Wars because they were the original company that made it and distributors of them. So now, like, yeah, what happens? Um, So it'll be interesting to see what they they release there. Fox, uh, from the Fox side of things, they are getting National Geographic docos and specials. And the first 30 seasons of The Simpsons will be streamed on there. Mm. This will be their exclusive streaming platform, which currently I think is very hard to find if it exists at all. Which is super awesome. Yeah. Be able I to really, rewatch seasons one to ten will be great. Yeah, years ago I had seasons one to eleven that were just like downloaded onto a hard drive somewhere that I watched. Yeah. Like, I skipped the first couple of seasons because they were rough. Yeah, I quite like the first couple of seasons for what they are. The first season is not funny. Okay. <laughs> it's really not it's bad. Um but yeah, so oh interesting that we'll be able to yeah, watch that. Yeah. That'll be very cool to watch that again. And um we also know about some original episodic series. And movies as well. Monsters at Work, a Monsters Inc. Inc. sequel series starring John Goodman and Billy Crystal will be out. Mm. WandaVision, a Scarlet Witch and Vision limited series. Loki, Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. We knew about them already. The Mandalorian, a Star Wars TV series. So between episode six and seven. We know that we will support up to 4K HDR, including new release movies, which is massive. Because if you go on Netflix, all of Netflix content, right? As someone who owns the blackest blacks. Um, <laughs> All of Netflix. Oh, that OLED. <laughs> we should talk about actually Spider Man as well. You got to watch that for the oh, first yeah, time we recently. Should, yeah. uh, we, the Netflix, all their original content, you can pretty much watch in 4K HDR. Mm-hmm. But any movies they have on there, like when they had Marvel films or like any other movie they get that isn't there, that isn't a Netflix original, mm-hmm. is at HD, like 1080p is the top. Right. Yeah. So the idea that I can, because that's this is why I've bought a lot of films. In, HD, in 4K HDR to have them on disc is because I couldn't stream them that way. Mm. So, Disney stuff being able to support that with their movies, like Avengers Endgame and Captain Marvel and stuff, being able to stream that way, that's fucking massive if you ask me. Like, yeah. that right there is enough reason to buy it. 
because that will save me buying discs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there yeah. you go. Yeah, a step closer to not <sighs> buying physical copies, bro. I know. And in terms of the what the interface looks like, it looks a lot like Netflix. Yeah, it's like don't fix why it broke. I guess. Yeah, totally. It's and that's a very not... easy interface to use. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like when you were saying that you know, obviously, Endgame and Captain Marvel, or particularly Endgame, is going to be released on the platform mm. not that long after it's finished screening in cinemas. Mm. And I just had a flashback to when we were growing up and you had to wait two years yeah. for something to come out on VHS. You'd go to the video store and, yeah, rent it out and for would, one night. Well, <laughs> well, what would happen is there would be 6,000 copies, but they'd all be out already. They'd all be gone. And you'd have to oh. come back the next day and try and get it at a time when one was yeah. back in and then you rent it for one night. And a community of like hundreds of thousands of people and they've got six copies of like, <laughs> yeah, whatever it is. You're like, fuck, no. <laughs> and then you just go for the five weekly special. Yeah. Uh, anyway, there's lots more details out there as well about this stuff. But uh, yeah, I'd def- I'll put a link to this slash film article in the show notes. I also just wanted to ask, uh, in the last two weeks as well, the Star Wars Celebration um, con has been on. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of Star Wars news there, of course. The big one being Star Wars Episode Nine had its first teaser trailer review- reveal and Rise its title. Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> Rise of Skywalker. How do we feel about the title first and foremost? Um, intrigued. Intrigued. Intrigued by it. Um, Some people are saying they don't like it, but I'm like, all the titles suck. Well, everyone says that, yeah. None of them are good. (laughs) That's part of the Um, charm of them. Yeah. We're all dorky as hell. Yeah, it's it's never the title. It's the content, really. Yes. Yeah, so the title doesn't bother me either way. Sure. What was the the first one of these bunch? Uh, The Force Awakens. Yeah, I didn't like that title either, but I like that movie more than I like... Like The Last Jedi, and I prefer The Last Jedi t- title. The title-wise, so. yeah. yeah. Sure. So. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, did you have any particular feelings on the teaser trailer? I don't know if we want to get into spoilers or not. I feel like people are maybe specifically mm. avoiding it, so I won't go well, into anything yeah, specific. skip ahead if you don't want to hear anything. Yeah, but we're not going to talk about anything particularly in depth. But um, the only part that I cared about was uh, Princess Leia. Mm-hmm. That's all I cared about. I was like, sure. oh. Um, I tweeted earlier when it f- when I first watched it that I hope the rise of Skywalker just means that Leia wins <laughs> and ascends into heaven with her ghost family and friends. That's what I want out of it. There is I don't a- care about any other Skywalker Skywalker other than Leia. That's there, it. There is a lot of talk about what that title could mean. Is that uh, is the term Skywalker going to be applied to something else? Is it going to be talking about... I always think the rise of Skywalker might just be a way of tying this back to the fact that the series starts with the Skywalker and maybe this is going to be the end of the Skywalker and talk about like how... Maybe there's some revelations about how this all began more than anything. There's some other clues that maybe some ghosts of the past might be returning as mm. well to be vague. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing I would also say to people is that there's a lot of speculation about what some of the things in the teaser mean or how... Mate, this is a teaser trailer eight <laughs> months away from the film. I doubt that anything they showed in there is is going to be the biggest reveal in the in the movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I don't think that's the it is weird the that they twist. showed the ending in it. I, I mean, when... Yeah, weird. yeah. The universe exploding. Mm. Um, weird weird like, way. Really bad ending, but that's... Actually fine. showing the credits, like that... Yeah, yeah. It's like directed by... Yeah, it's JJ really Abrams, the teaser trailer odd. was just the credits. That was just the credits. <laughs> the the teaser trailer is the after credits scene. <laughs> yeah. 
Love it. Uh, what a choice. What a choice. It's almost up there with that Sopra- uh, Tony Soprano being an astronaut mm. choice. Uh, Damask, do you have anything for us for Off Topic Hot Topic this week? I have a ru- 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 reality check. We do that better every time. I do. I love it. <laughs> All right. So this week I'm talking about Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. Now, something actually interesting happened this week because most of this season has been overtaken by what is called Puppygate. I'm not going to Puppygate? Yeah, I'm not going to go into it because it's one of the most absurd, convoluted and boring dramas in recent Real Housewives history. It's so fucking shit. But this episode, the latest episode, as all the ladies minus LVP sat around the dinner table, a political discussion began to take place. Which rarely happens because obviously these women are very like social media conscious and so any kind of political stuff they just don't talk about at all. Okay. And obviously these are like the 1% in Beverly Hills. So, yeah, they don't want to talk about their politics. Anyway, so Lisa Rinna of – she's like a soap opera actress. um, She starts talking about the Kavanaugh hearing, which obviously is happening in real time when this is shot. And she's like, because everyone's like, oh, why isn't your husband here? And she's like, oh, well, obviously it's a really big day politically. So he just wanted to stay home, watch it and kind of absorb it. And like, it's a big thing. Okay. Because um, he was obviously quite upset about what was going on with the Kavanaugh hearing. Sure. Um, and so she goes on to talk about how incredibly brave Dr. Ford was and is and forever shall be. Mm-hmm. And so you're like, oh, that's going to be the end of the discussion. Because fair enough, that's where you'd want to end it. Right? But No. Who's going to pipe up at that? Nobody. Nobody would dare to say anything opposed to that because this is airing on Bravo, right? Right. This is the network that is primarily, if not only, viewed by women and gay men. So, surely you're not going to take the other side. Nope. Too late. Camille Grammer, the ex-wife of Kelsey Grammer of Frasier fame, decides to open up her mouth. And so... Just to recreate this, I have brought Brod in. We're going to do a little reenactment of this dramatic reading. So, I'm going to be play- playing Lisa Rinna. Lisa Rinna, who's defending uh, Dr. Ford. Sure. And I'll be playing Camille Grammer, ex-wife of Kelsey Grammer, who decides to pipe in on her opinion about the situation. And also random woman at table. Oh, yes. And there's, uh, yeah, there'll be another woman speaking. Do a but- different voice for that one. Yeah, okay. Sure. I'll, I'll do some accent work. Excellent. Also, I mm. uh, just want to put it out there, I've never read this. I suck at reading. If you know the podcast, have, you know this. And also, I have, I have no Brad idea who these people are. Here we go. Yeah, but <clears> just <throat> picture. So everyone at home, Lisa Google Rinna. Lisa Rinna. That's me. That's yeah. And I am like a skinny blonde, very rich woman. <clears throat> the first two are right. Hey. <laughs> the fact this doctor came out, I think she's changing everything with her courage. I just have a different point of view on this one. She didn't have enough evidence. When are you going when you're going to go up against something like that, you better have your witnesses lined up. If you were raped at fifteen, you would tell your best friend. You would tell your parents. Not necessarily. Absolutely not. I disagree. Random woman at the table. I was attacked when I was in seventh grade and I've never spoken about it until recently, so I believe her. I was a victim too. I told people. I told my husband. I told my therapist. She did the same thing. She told her husband. She told him years later. Do you not believe this woman? You don't believe this woman should be heard? Camille shakes her head. 
I feel bad for what he and his family are going through. I have always been accused of doing things that I have never done. I empathize with what Brett Kavanaugh is going through. I empathize with his position. Camille comparing herself to Brett Kavanaugh is fucking weird. I'm sorry. It's fucking weird. So that insane. scene, insane, <laughs> insane. So that scene happened. Or if just disappeared into the role there. I know <laughs> oh, you, you fucking committed to it. Good <laughs> on you, mate. Um, so that happened, and I was in shock mm. that it was happening. And so it it escalates, and then eventually Lisa, not Lisa, no, sorry, Kyle pipes up, who's another woman of the cast, and she's like, "You know what? How about we just like don't talk politics at the table? Let's let's just stop." So everything quietens down. And then Camille gets up and goes off into another room and starts crying because that's always the way. Sure. The conservative who is just immoral and says the worst things and clearly understands that her position makes everyone hate her and she can't take the fucking heat. Well, that's the thing. She's she, glad- feel- she then feels attacked. She yeah. feels like she's She'll the She'll gladly at that point. shit yeah. on a woman who has been sexually assaulted. Sure. But then as soon as everyone goes around, goes around and be like, oh, my God, you're, you're a wrong. monster, <laughs> she kind of starts crying or whatever. Sure. And then so – Lisa Renner is sitting there. She's like, fine, let's drop it, whatever, because it's actually a dinner there to celebrate her mum who's visiting. Mm -hmm. And then in the talking head, Lisa Renner just casually drops this story. Are you ready for it? Sure. So she's passionate about violence against women because her mum, just before she was born or before she was conceived or whatever, she was at a bus stop and a man that she worked with came to pick her up and drive her home. And so the driving home, he turns down like a dirt road and all of a sudden she's like, oh, this is not where we're meant to be going. He takes out a knife and a hammer and attempts to rape her and kill her. Luckily, though, a military policeman saw them turn down the road and he knew that people generally had no reason to go down that road. He follows them and stops her from being raped and murdered. The guy goes to jail for seven and a half years. Then he gets out and murders seven people. Holy fuck. And he's a serial killer called the Trailside Serial Killer. Holy shit. And this is just casually brought up in the show. And we've been focusing on a thing called fucking Puppygate for about seven episodes. But it was was a good one. That's one way of putting it. It was fucking intense. So that was Real Housewives of Beverly wow. Hills, which was a political drama and a true crime story. It was a bit too much reality in that reality yeah. check. Like, it was, that got real. It real. was nuts. Mm. It was nuts. Which we rarely get that from the Beverly Hills girls. Mm-mm. So it was a nice change of pace. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Mm. Uh, was there anything else you had for Hot Topic? Oh, that was all I could That's handle this week. Handle. Okay, I got a couple of quick things. We won't mm. go on too much longer. I uh, I watched Guava Island. Have you heard about Guava <gasps> Island? I've watched a couple of clips. Sure. Mm-hmm. So this is the 55-minute Childish Gambino musical starring Don Glover and Rihanna, written by Stephen Glover. That's the brother of Don Glover. And directed by Hiro Murai. So you'd be familiar with those names because they're all involved with um, Atlanta. And Hiro Mirai also directs episodes of Barry um, and a lot of Charles Gambino's film clips. He's fucking great. <laughs> He's never, I've never seen him make anything that's been anything less than great. Um, uh, this comes from the IMDb synopsis. A young musician seeks to hold a festival to liberate the oppressed people of Guava Island, even if only for a day. And it's kind of just this 55-minute like fairy tale. It's almost like a fable in a way. Mm. Everything in it's symbolic. Everything, it, all, there's... Uh, really distinct like colours that are coming up which are very symbolic of um, 
different ways of being or, or um, sort of the negative forces, the positive forces on the island. It's pretty straightforward. There's nothing subtle about this, mm. but it's quite beautifully made. Mm. And 55 minutes, a really easy watch. It was available to watch for free for 18 hours. But now you can watch it still um, on Amazon Prime if you're a subscriber. If you're a fan of Charlie Gambino and Don Glover or Rihanna, I will say Rihanna doesn't sing throughout the entire thing. Weird choice. Uh, it is a weird choice to have Rihanna in it, but for that reason. But it was uh, it's a pretty cool little 55 minute like episodes of Sabrina were longer. Yeah. Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's an easy watch and mm. uh, definitely worth your time. I've also been watching Star Trek Discovery Season 2, mm, which is on CBS. Well, it's finished now, Season 2. CBS All Access in the States, but strip- distributed on Netflix in Australia. Uh, as we know, originally show run by Brian Fuller. Um, it's had a turbulent history behind the scenes. We reviewed Season 1 and we, fair to say, had mixed feelings on it. Mixed is fair. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't watch Season 2 super attentively. It's one of those shows like have in the background, do some emails, you know, flick through Twitter at the same time sort of Mm. thing. But... I can only do that with sitcoms. Right. But if that sort of makes sense to you, like I'm sort of casually watching it, I actually really enjoyed this season, like quarter of this season Mm -hmm. between uh, emails. Um, It was more fun and adventurous than previous seasons, I thought. I won't go into the plot too much, but it had a way of just sort of moving from place to place quite well. It was Mm -hmm. set up early on. Um, It... I enjoyed the new characters they introduced who are actually old characters if you know Star Trek lore. But anyway, um, I played with some of the established Star Trek lore quite well. The finale was particularly impressive and suggests that season three, which has been ordered, will be quite different in its setting um, to the first two seasons. And that's actually pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. And if you're into like sci-fi, like space battles and stuff, the the finale is good. Ooh, okay. Good. It's it's very, very cool to watch. Now, do you end up caring about the characters? I'm, I'm caring more and more. They did really good work with Saru this season. They did some good work with Tilly. There's Captain Pike who's in it. It's great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Michael, uh, I care about to some degree. I don't know. The stuff with her and Spock isn't fantastic. Mm. Um there's, there's enough in there. And we do get to spend some time with some of the other bridge crew members finally. Okay, cool. Um, they actually get like scenes and like are involved in the plot a bit more and stuff That's like good. that. I hope that girl who like lost half her face gets a mention. Yeah, she does. Yeah, sweet. The, the robot lady? <laughs> yeah. She's quite important for a few episodes. Oh. Like there's stuff going on in there. Okay. Uh, yeah, so they, they do, they, they're growing the crew and getting more invested overall the the Klingon guy I can't remember his name anymore you yeah know, I don't know what he, it, he's what's his face the most boring thing ever mm. no good also uh, last thing I have been watching Fleabag season one I'm only halfway in three of six episodes in this is a British comedy drama written and starring Phoebe Waller-Bridge and adapted uh, from her one woman play of the same name uh, I'm really enjoying it. I'm watching it with my girlfriend. Yeah, Broad already mentioned it years ago. I know you yeah. did. I know <laughs> you did. Topic. I know. I've been it's fucking it to... great. At one it's point, so we're going to do it actually because the season two has finished recently, and we're mm. going to do it for the podcast, but we've run out of time. Um, but yeah, very good. It's kind of like Girls, if like it's it's got a, a similar vibe to Girls in the sense that it's I'm about... doing a shocked face because okay. I. A hard screen. Broadly, in the sense that it's about some pretty terrible Women people. Women who have sex. Uh, just terrible people. It's not like girls. It's like 
Broad's wrong. It's not like girls at all. It's not. I'm interested in that broad stroke. That's what I'm saying. But otherwise, it's much better written and much better performed and acted. And I it's actually nothing like girls. You're Fine. insane. Okay. Uh, it's a nuanced, in-depth, beautiful, heartbreaking, incredibly well-crafted story about what it is to be a person now and dealing with trauma and all of this stuff. You don't think any of that could apply to girls at all? No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Uh, I'm going to argue some elements could apply, but I agree with you. That is women, vastly... Young women who have sex. Vastly, that is it. Vastly superior to girls. Uh, I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm looking forward to watching the rest of it. That's it. Let's get to our spoiler-free review of The Legend of Korra Season 4. Let me clue you in. Season in review. In The Legend of Korra's fourth and final season, we jump ahead in time three years to a changing global political landscape and a republic city without its avatar. The main voice talent all return one more time, joined this time around by newcomers Todd Habakkuk, Sunil Malhotra, Felice Sampler and Zelda Williams, daughter of the late great Robin Williams, as General Kuvira, leader of the Earth Kingdom Army. Season 4 consists of 13 episodes, each coming in at around 22 minutes and took us approximately 4 hours and 45 minutes to watch. The final two episodes were released on Nick.com on December 19th, 2014. Before we get into uh, our spoiler-free review, I did want to just talk about something I meant to talk about actually last season. The weird distribution of seasons 3 and 4 of Korra. Okay, So, book 3's first three episodes were aired simultaneously... After they were leaked online originally. Mm-hmm. So, before they were meant to air, three episodes released online. I think they were in Spanish, but with English sub- or English English with Spanish subtitles. And so, people had saw them online already, so they released them all at once. Then, after episode nine of season three aired, Nickelodeon stopped broadcasting the show on TV and instead released them online only. Which people were like, well, this is the death of the show. If they're not putting it on TV anymore, we're just not going to get season four, mm-hmm. even though it's been ordered. Mm-hmm. Not true. What happened was that less than two months after the season finale of Book 3 aired, Book 4 premiered, which, while it's true that Season 3 and 4 produced in parallel and even had some overlap with Season 2, nobody expected the the series to return so soon. In fact, production had continued right up until the airing of the season finale, with changes still being made up to the last minute. So, they were sort of like rushed to to release this thing before it was even finished. Mm. So, shit, something went wrong behind the scenes, basically. Yeah. And so it was a really tumultuous, weird time for fans of Korra. I remember just, it was weird also where you have that season three, you've had like a year long gap between seasons, then all of a sudden seasons four coming out. And my initial reaction was, I'm not ready. I don't want the show to be over yet. I Mm. wanted that break so I could sort of like, you know, get that anticipation up and really savor that moment when it came. And all of a sudden it was just like over inside six months. I was like, oh, it's done. It was really weird. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, the interesting thing is I don't remember that. Really? I remember like the basic like drama around, oh, the the timing is all fucked up. But I don't remember being shocked that it was coming back or anything like that. Right. So, let's talk about, or so we should say as well, let's restate our sort of thoughts on the first three seasons. Do you remember sort of your scores at all or how you felt about the first three seasons? Favourites, least favourites, etc. So, I really enjoyed last season. Season three? Um, I really enjoyed the first season mm-hmm. and season two um, left quite a bit to be desired, mm-hmm. but it was the growing pains after the first season because they thought that was the only one they were going to get, um, but mostly 
I have a pretty high opinion of Cora. Sure. Um, yeah, love the characters, love the world, all that stuff. Very much in the same boat. First season, four out of five. Second season, three and a half out of five. Third season, five out of five. I love the third season. Mm. I think it's as, it is just a tightly paced, really great season of uh, of Cora. Really great. Damas, can you give us your spoiler-free review of The Legend of Cora, book four, please? I can. So, I have a controversial take. Oh. I prefer this season to season three. Get out. I know, I know. Look, in book four, we have all of our characters coming together. Long gone are the times when many of our main team felt superfluous. Everyone is working together and the action sequences are the better for it. Wait, are we talking about season four? We're talking about season four, yeah. I disagree, but go on. That's fine. Uh, (laughs) This show has long been about Korra battling against different political ideologies to create balance in the world. And here, as the culmination of all four books, we have Korra coming to terms with a truly grey world and acknowledging that that our enemies aren't the black and white bad guys that we once thought they were, our understanding of problem solving evolves. By identifying that many ideologies are valid for different reasons and for different people, it creates a world in which the best ideas come forward and a world that validates and values all walks of life is created. Now, when ideologies are used as weapons against the weak, when they're seen as absolutes, that is when they become dangerous. Cora this season once again has to face her prejudice and by acknowledging her her own shortcomings and vulnerabilities, she finds balance in herself. The action sequences this season are outstanding. We have seen many fights, but these ones in particular create a sense of teamwork not seen before. The ultimate battle at the end is one of pure satisfaction. It is tense. It is beautifully choreographed. And it feels like the first Avengers film did. The feeling we all felt in that film when the filmmakers pulled it all off was such a feat. Before that, the question of how on earth can they pull all of it together is what creates the suspense. And it's the same here. How on earth is this show going to bring all of our favourites together? How are the writers going to create a villain that brings forward the best of the past and addresses the weaknesses of the previous seasons? The feeling at the end when the creative team of Korra have pulled it off, unparalleled, and this season does it. This show has always been about how a person's experiences directly influence who they become and the actions they choose. This show tells us time and time again that we're not all bad and we're not all good. And this season caps off that lesson wonderfully. Now, I can't go into my most favorite part of this season without spoilers. So I encourage everyone to watch book four because what I really want to talk about is wonderful and very, very important. I won't go into more detail other than to say that every time I watch it, think about it or talk about it, I get very emotional. Oh, it's so good. Now, this last hurrah for Cora and her friends was one of self-discovery, finding balance, acceptance and love. It is good. That's my review. Very good. I agree it is good. It's not my favourite season, but a very, very, very strong ending that does a great job of bringing Cora's arc into focus leaving me more than satisfied with where we leave things. As always, Studio Mir animates the show beautifully, including some of the biggest, most complex action sequences yet. I agree about that ending as well in terms of the the teamwork, that camaraderie that mm. exists, everyone working together is very, very cool. Similarly, Jeremy Zuckerman is ever-reliable with his musical work, including another great villain theme and some wonderful nods to older tracks, particularly in the show's final moments. On the flip side... 
I occasionally felt the dialogue was a bit stilted this season. Cora has never been a subtle show, but the exposition felt a bit clunkier and the comedy a little bit staler at times to me, particularly in some of the episodes in the start to middle. It got a bit better towards the end, I thought, but I don't know. Just just feeling a little bit more this season. Structurally, I thought book four was a lot like book two, which is my least favorite season by a mile. Cora's internal struggles are the biggest focus this season, taking the shocking season three finale and exploring its ramifications over all 13 episodes. Bolin is once again paired with Varric for a satisfying B story, very similar to season two. But just like in book two, Marco and Asami are left to fight for the narrative scraps. It's all much better than season two, but I do feel it's a decent step back from the extremely well-balanced and expertly paced season three. We're going to have to talk about that in in, uh, spoilers, I think, because I think you disagree with me on that. This season's villain is also uh, much better than the incredibly boring and unpopular sorcerer from the north of book two. Mm-hmm. That's a direct quote from the show, by the way. While not as fun to be around as to hear in the Red Lotus, the villain is largely compelling in their motivations, their connection to the larger cast, their place in the world, and how they reflect on Korra's journey. I think you uh, sort of illustrated that very well, Damask. Where this season really rises to greatness is in the final episode. Mm. Alongside a spectacular final battle, high-stakes action, and cathartic character moments, the last two minutes left me a blubbering mess, and I cannot wait to talk about it in spoilers, but boy, am I not being hyperbolic when I say that I will always love that final scene. Overall, book four is a fitting end to The Legend of Korra. Tenzin describes life as one big bumpy ride, and Korra has always been about expressing that right through to the last episode. Aang's journey was a much simpler journey, a wartime hero needing to rise and defeat a great evil. But that story doesn't reflect the experience of most avatars. Most avatars live through peaceful times. Korra is the exploration of what it means to be someone charged with protecting and guiding the world when the good and the bad isn't so clear cut. The path forward is much more difficult, murkier, bumpier. It's no surprise that the experience of watching the show felt a little bumpy at times too, and while it may not have felt as satisfying from moment to moment as The Last Airbender, Overall, overall, it may have had more to teach us. What's your final score out of five, Damask? I'm going to give it a five. A five? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. I'm going to give it a four. Um, yeah, I, it, it's the it's the similarity in its structure. As like I said, I think it does a really good job with Korra. I think it gives Bolin mm-hmm. and Varric lots to do. I really feel like last season I sort of was really happy with how well they integrated. Like last season for me, Team Avatar got to be... Team Avatar a lot of the time. Mm. And it is with good purpose that they separate them from a lot of this. Mm-hmm. It's not until like episode nine, I think, that we finally mm. get sort of the team back together properly. Or most of the team, not even the full team yet. Um, but keeping them separate is usually the detriment of the secondary cast, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I, it's kind of why I love season three. They're all there. They're really involved. They've sort of got this clear journey together in that season. Mm. I think um, like with the exception of Marco, though, I do like what he does in this season. I like his place, maybe because I've always felt that he should. That's where he belongs. He belongs over there. <laughs> sure. Um, but with everyone else, I while they were separate, I was still appreciating and quite invested in what they were doing. Sure. So that was okay. Whereas in previous seasons when that's been the case, I have not cared at all about what they're doing. Yeah, the season two stuff where they yeah. is similar. I know the characters you're talking about is atrocious yeah. in season two, yeah. Yeah, but this this time I was invested. And also, I'll be honest, I think because I know how this season ends, it might have skewed my view of the entire season. Sure. Is that possible? Absolutely. Am I admitting it? Yes. Um, <laughs> but I, because this is the only second time I've watched it. 
Yeah, okay. I loved it. Good. Fucking loved it, yeah. Do we want to talk, just before we get into spoilers as well, just about our overall thoughts on Korra as a series compared to Avatar The Last Airbender as its own series as a whole? Like, how do you feel about Korra after re-exploring it now all four seasons? Yeah, it's. I have enjoyed it far more on the rewatch. Right, okay. Because um, I think there's so much more trust knowing how it ends, mm-hmm. knowing the journey and then going back. Whereas at the time, and because of like um, outside of the actual show, things that were going on around it, like in the way that it was being made, mm. there was a lot of like, there was a tenseness in the air, like about, um, yeah, how it was going to be made, if it was going to be finished, you know, when did the creators want it to finish? When did like Nickelodeon yeah. was going to like, you know, put the the boot down at any moment, but like, nah, that's it. Um, so this time it was a more relaxed viewing. Sure. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's a bumpy ride. There's mm. lots of ups and downs. If I'm going to introduce anyone into the world, obviously I'm going to be like, oh, watch Avatar. Yeah. Because I think you really need to love the world before you can really attach yourself to this show. Because mm-hmm. I think there's, there's a lot of downs that I think a lot of people who aren't already really in love with the creators and the world just won't forgive. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I love Cora. Mm. Um, and I love, as I sort of said before, it tries to explore a much more complex, less black and white story than the last mm. they, they, they That's the thing. It's, it's really important to understand they are just trying to achieve such different things. Watching Core again with a critical eye, I think it's fair to say it's inferior to The Last Airbender mm-hmm. overall. Yeah. It has bigger weaknesses and if nothing else... Could just have done with more... I still think more episodes per season. Because it's got these bigger ideas. And I just feel like it doesn't always get the time to explore them No, I well totally enough. agree. Absolutely. Or the, yeah. some characters, if just given more time, mm-hmm. would probably be better at explore. You get more time with them to explore them. They get more time to be fleshed out. Mm. And that would really serve the show really well. Um, that being said, it's an excellent and worthy continuation of Avatar with still some of my favourite, most affecting individual moments. Mm. I do love a lot of the characters. On some level, I will always love Korra just as much as The Last Airbender because in my personal context, I got to experience it as it happened. I came to The Last Airbender after the fact. So after, like, you know, people had watched it on television. I sort of binged all at once and fell in love with it, but I didn't get to be a part of the community or the zeitgeist. With Korra... I got to be there and experience it with others as it happened. And that sense of community will always mean a lot to me when I think about mm. Cora as well. Yeah, that's really true because, yeah, I watched, you watched The Last Avatar and you're like, you've got to watch this show. And so yeah. I watched it. Um, and then Cora started coming out and we were like, not watching it together, but at the same time, mm-hmm. um, relatively, except for the last season, because you watched that before I did. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was really nice to kind of be like, oh my God, did you see the episode, blah, blah, blah whatever it was. That, yeah, that's that's a good point to make. Well, we're coming up to, to get off topic for a second, we're coming, we're right in the middle at the moment of Game of Thrones final season. And there's a lot of talk about, you know, will there be another show like Game of Thrones where people sit down and watch it week to week and discuss it and have that, you know, water cooler talk between episodes and stuff like that. And I, a lot of people are saying there won't be, I think... With because of HBO and the way they distribute their stuff week by week, still maybe they will, maybe that will happen again. Will it be as big as Game of Thrones? Probably not. Mm. But that is that is an experience I truly love. Mm. Um, 
And it was great to have that with Cora, and yeah. I'm going to miss it. And I also think people who dismiss that, like, oh, no, that's over, don't understand the marketability of being, like, one week at a time totally. now when people have access to everything. That's, that's actually a really clever way to market something, to make people wait for it, to make people generate their, their own, own marketing yeah. material is actually really clever, and I think more and more um, networks and stuff will be doing that. Yeah. Be interesting to see if that does happen. Before we dive into spoilers, we'd like to remind everyone that if you enjoy what we do here, we'd really, really appreciate you sharing the podcast with someone else who you think might also enjoy listening. A friend, a relative, someone. Uh, I want you to grab the link or the website and go, hey, I love this podcast. You should give this a try. I think you'll love this episode. If it's about something you know they love, that'd be awesome. We'd also appreciate your positive reviews on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. But right now, let's talk spoilers. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu dot com code GLOW. You're now entering the spoiler zone. Spoiler warning. On this episode, we'll be discussing everything that happens in the complete run of The Legend of Korra. Before listening any further, we recommend watching all of Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra up to this point. 
If you're not yet done so, proceed with caution. There are spoilers ahead. You, you have, have been, been warned. warned. Deep dive. It's cool to know other people think about this stuff too. All right, let's just do it. Let's start with that ending. We've been tiptoeing around this whole conversation <sighs> yeah. the whole time we've been talking about this, for four episodes now, because we knew the ending mm-hmm. and because it is quite a reveal at the end, quite a yeah. moment at the end. Mm-hmm. Damask, what happens in the last couple of minutes of The Legend of, Ar- uh, the, the, the Legend of Korra? So, Korra finishes speaking to Tenzin mm. and... Time's running out. If you look at that time marker, time's running out. You're like, oh, the end's coming. Mm. And uh, Asami appears. Oh. And oh. they not Marco. Sit- no, no, no. They oh, sit- Why would you even mention him? He's not part of it. Shut up. <laughs> and then they sit down together on the steps and Cora gives her condolences to Asami about her dad and she sheds a little tear. It's gives her a hug. Very sad. And then it's all about like, what's next? What are we going to do? And then, is it Asami, I believe, says that she would like to go on a vacation. Love to go on a vacation. Love to go on a vacation. And Cora says, well, how about we go to the spirit world, just the two of us? And then they walk off, bags packed, into the distance towards the new spirit portal. They hold hands. They look at each other. The end. Oh. There you go. <laughs> so what what is what does that mean to you, Damask? That sounds lovely and all, but what happened? I understand. Why the big deal? All right. So, Brad, when I started <laughs> writing my notes, yeah. I was just like, because usually, like, I have like a, a heading, and then all my notes underneath are just bam, 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 sure. just little points. Sure. I wrote Korasami. Korasami. And then I started writing, <laughs> and it wasn't little notes. It was just it was just straight up prose. Can I read it to you? Please. If that's all right. Please. <clears throat> all right. So under the, the heading Kurosami, I wrote, When Brod and I started watching this series a billion years ago, I always joked about Cora and Asami having way more sexual tension than anybody. But it was always just a joke. Well, I believed it to be true, but I know that the shows I watched, particularly back then, wouldn't acknowledge it or would only treat it as subtext. I was used to that. I was used to that very familiar disappointment. When I was a young teen, I devoured every bit of femme slash fan fiction I could get my hands on because watching two female friends fall in love really wasn't possible. I wasn't allowed to see it. In one regard, because studios and creatives either didn't believe it was a valid story to tell or they weren't allowed to tell it. And in the other regard, back in the day, I used to have a shared family computer at home growing up because I am very old and that's how we used to live. And on my YouTube account, I had saved all of my favorite Femslash videos. One day, I forgot to log out of my account. And when my dad discovered what I had been watching, he deleted every single one of them. Then he sat me down and told me how wrong and disgusting it was. And keep in mind, all of these videos were footage of nothing more than two women just simply being suggested to being queer. No kissing, no sex, maybe some hand-holding, or while romantic music played. As an adult, up until very, very recently, kids, I still felt very unseen by the thing I love the most, TV. And I think I still have, sorry, and I think I still have an inferiority complex about it. 
It's hard to feel as though your relationships mean as much as straight people's. The idea that they don't is cemented by the fact that often two female characters who have incredible chemistry are only ever friends or their potential romantic connection is played off as a joke to the fans. That stuff leaves a mark. It's not malicious, but it does have its effects. So I joked about Asami and Korra, but my little gay teenage heart still existed inside me. And so, secretly, I knew it meant a lot to me. And I really did want it. Did I think the creators would ever make it happen? No. They put the subtext there. I was used to that. Many creators before them had done similar things. But I knew they weren't allowed to tell that story. They were on Nickelodeon, so I knew the score. Then, the last moments of Korra, book four, began to play. And my little queer dream was coming true. The creators made Korasami real, and it meant a lot to me. There wasn't any kissing. There wasn't any sex. But it was two women holding hands, looking at each other while romantic music played. Just like all of those fem slash fan videos I used to watch. And in that moment, I knew that all the time I had spent watching videos like that wasn't because I was a deviant or sad. It was because that is a completely valid and beautiful thing to see. And there was nothing wrong with it. That last scene, in its own tiny way, began to sew up some very big hurts for me. Is it just a silly kid's show? You know, maybe. But there are kids all over the world that will watch it and see themselves. And it will be normal. The doubt that is sparked by wondering why you've never seen yourself won't begin to grow in them. Kids, kids won't have to secretly find representation in the middle of the night on their family computer because they're so desperate to feel connected. They will turn on this Nickelodeon show and it will tell them that it doesn't matter who they are, they all deserve to be able to grab the hand of the person they love and walk off into the spirit world. So they were my thoughts. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Um. <clears throat> I don't want to pretend for a second that this can possibly mean as much to me as it did to you. Because mm. obviously, I'm, as a straight man, fucking I've been overrepresented in anything <laughs> in media. How dare you get out of here? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I remember, because I remember, I remember watching the show and you, yeah, we weren't watching together, as you said, mm. season four, but there was like, there was all these little hints, yeah. all these little suggestions about Korosami. And I actually, watching this time through, I've taken like note. Because I knew you would. Uh, I was hoping you would. Yeah. It's like when they're in the car in episode one of season three, Koronasami, a lot of flirtation going on there when they're talking about like, oh, the Marco stuff, who cares? Mm. When they go on their mission for the Earth Queen in season three, when they're doing combat training together, the little side glances they give each other in season three, Asami riding off with Ka- with Koronaga, all the Koronasami in the desert stuff. Asami watching over Korra while she enters the spirit world. Asami brushing Korra's <laughs> hair and holding her hand in the season three finale. Asami wanting to go with Korra to the Southern Warrior tribe as she heals. Korra fucking riding to Asami and Asami mm-hmm. only. Mm-hmm. Korra blushing at Asami's compliment of her hair. Korra only wrote back to Asami as, yep, yeah, but they bring that up. What's going on with you two? Yes, Marco. What is going on with these two? <laughs> the little lovers tiff, tiff. And there's a little mm. bit where Asami brings Korra tea, but that's like inconsequential. But. There were so many of these moments. Yeah. I remember getting to the wet when she caught with Asami again 
in Republic City in season four. And she does compliment her hair and she does blush. And Mm. that was the first time I believed that it might actually happen. Now, I understand your skepticism for it. Yeah. Right? Because, fuck it, the world has never given you that. Always subtext. Always subtext, right? Even with things like brushing hair, that's synonymous with, like, these are the showrunners, like, all the writers subtexting of, like, sexual tension, but that's as much as you'll get. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but I started to believe. And the main reason I believe is because, like, if it's ever going to happen, this is the show, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Avatar has always been so inclusive and positive. Mm. It's got these non-binary characters in there. It's all about, like, female power and equality and stuff like that. There's never been queer representation in the show, but Mm. fuck, if, if it could happen... Maybe this is the show for yeah, it. Yeah, I think that was the thing. Is like, because we had had many a discussion about that exactly, and mm. I like, and I wanted it to be true. That's the thing. And you're like, oh well, this is the show to do it. I'm like, yeah, but they're on fucking Nickelodeon. Like, there's no way that they would ever do it. And so, I wanted it, even if like, like that. I think that was the great thing about the ending was. So we get that conversation with just the two of them. I'm like. That's pretty nice. And it's still in like the subtext realm, but that's enough there for me to go, ooh, yeah, cool. I can hold on to that for years. Awesome. And then they decide to go on a vacation together. And I'm like, wow, okay, there's a lot for me to hold on to there. That's cool. And they walk off together. I'm like, oh, wow. Like they're giving me so much. Then they hold hands. I'm like, oh my God. Fuck, I'm actually getting what I wanted. And then they turn to look at each other. And I'm like, Oh, my fucking God. That's the reaction right there. This is incredible. I like, like so few shows have like given me that level of satisfaction in an ending. I'm like, because it felt so magical. And I felt like that teenage kind of like giddiness of like, oh, my God. Like, and I, like, I love things. I don't necessarily attach myself to fandom. Sure. But that moment, I felt very, like, fandom-y. Like, sure. you know how you're, like, squeeing into, like, the screen as you watch something happen and, like, ships and all that shit. Um, but, fuck, it felt good. It felt so good. The um, it, the it, the reaction I remember having was, holy fuck, they did it. Like, mm. they... And it's all those steps you're talking about. Like, and I remember... And it is the sequence of events is, like... She's just had the conversation with... If you ever want to see this, I'm going to put one of these in the show notes as well. There's a great video that's like a little montage of people Reaction, reacting I've to it. That so many I times. watch it all the time. If I ever just feel like a pickup, there's a couple of videos like that where I'm just so like, good. I'm just going to watch that because it feels great. Yeah. And just seeing other people react, but it's very much how I reacted as well. And it's like, it's her with Marco and it's like, oh, they're going to fucking do Makora. <laughs> Fucking, they, Marco's so boring. Don't put it with Marco. And then the tens would be like, okay, tens are nice. Mm-hmm. And then you hear Asami's voice and you're like, there's a minute and a Everyone half to like go here. Everyone like turns their head slightly and just starts listening very intently. And mm-hmm. then tens and runs off. And it's like, holy fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just Asami and Cora. And then they have that conversation. And is that built? And then the finally, the let's, and the, and then the, <laughs> the holding hands. And it's for me, it's, it, there's the two things that always lock it in for me are the, the looking at each other, which in the context of the show, two people holding hands, looking at each other like that mm. only ever happens when people are fucking getting married, which is exactly what Julie and Varric were doing only moments earlier. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly the pose, apart from the kiss, it's exactly the pose that Aang and Katara have at the end, the exact same 
like time code mm. in the end of Avatar. They are not fucking around. Yeah. And then they I play- I mean, I hope they are. Well, <laughs> later on, I assume. But then they play and the- and Oh, man. They play what is known as the Avatar love theme, which is- It's just four notes that they play, but it's- And instantly I knew it. Mm. I was like, that's the fucking Avatar love theme. And I actually tweeted Jeremy- uh, Zuckerman, I was like, was that the Avatar Love theme at the end? He was like, yes. And I was like, I was fucking... <laughs> Holy shit. And I, again, doesn't it's not about representing me or anything like that. I was so happy for you mm. and other people <laughs> in your experience. I sobbed like a baby. I was so happy. My pillow was wet with tears. Yeah. It was good. so good. And then... There was all these videos online of people reacting. If you ever want to just find a time capsule, this as well. Mm. The Korasami Reddit, where I think it's like Korasami is canon. I think is it's like it's definitely one like the top or second top thread. If you just look at the like the the top threads ever, is just just this outpouring of emotion and disbelief that they did it, and just pure joy that people exactly mm. as you expressed just felt represented and seen. For maybe the first time ever, especially on like a kids' television show like yeah. this, because I think Fucking like awesome. yeah, we've been teased for so long in so many different ways by so many different shows for that actually to happen. We're like, oh, fuck, that's it's so nice to feel like like perpetual disappointment. I think explains the queer experience of watching TV. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh fuck, you either. Is only subtext, or you get what you want, and three episodes later, the person dies. Yeah, like that's always just like the way it goes. It's never end game, right? No, it's no, never no. end game. It's yeah, as as shippers would say. As <laughs> that's right. Or Marvel would say now. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, but- God, I don't think we're gonna. I guarantee you, we're gonna be disappointed, or we're gonna be sad. With some I of the assume that game. means that like. Tony and Steve get married. <gasps> That's what Endgame Imagine means. if they did a Coruscant <laughs> moment. That'd be amazing. Oh, all right. We're predicting it now. That's what it is. <laughs> that's what Endgame means. <laughs> but, you know, like that's the experience. And so when that wasn't the experience, I think everyone was just like the community just shut themselves with joy oh. and just spewed all over the internet. And fair enough, like any comment section you look at about like that final episode of Cora, everyone's just talking about that. Which oh. is like, there's plenty more to talk about, and I think Lots. we should talk we more about that other stuff. But that the reason why it is so saturated is that it's just like we've had blue balls for so long, and yeah. so we're coming over every comment section that we can. Is how I can explain it to you. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. But- Thank you. Because I feel like the only people that would be like hateful about it would be like I don't know some straight man douchebag, and I feel like he would understand that analogy. Sure, I'm connecting with them, you know. Well, there was a backlash, right? So of there, were, there were there at the time it, with all the outpouring of positive emotion as well. There was a backlash. There were people who were like, they didn't set this up well enough. This came out of nowhere. This isn't right. Or they're not really together. That's people are misreading this. They're just really good friends. Why do holding hands <laughs> have to mean that they're together and all this sort of stuff? And there were you know and Macora people who were upset because they wanted Cora and. And um, Marco to get together again, all this sort of stuff. And so there was a bit of a backlash. And that was interesting too, because that was a very, because then there's been all this positivity, and all of a sudden it's tainted by this like um, negativity and like people pushing back and trying to, to diminish that positivity. And the thing is always like, well, they're just going to leave this up in the air. They've left it vague. They didn't have them kiss, they left it vague mm. on purpose. 
couple of days later. <laughs> Brian, Fast forward too. A couple of days later and Brian Konetsko, who has a great blog, which uh, if you're into animation, stuff like that, hi, uh, I suggest you follow, simply wrote, oh, it's actually a very long piece mm. and it starts with simply, Korasami is canon. So, it went from <laughs> being a thing where like, if you can't read the coding here, mm. this is in fucking black and white. This yeah. is exactly what we intended and don't, Argue for a second that's not. Mm. You can, if you want to have a head cannon that's something else, go right ahead. Yeah, of course. But don't pretend for a second this wasn't so the intention. So queer people have had to do forever. So. Exactly right. <laughs> do what you want. Don't pretend for a second that this isn't what was intended by the artists. Mm. And I was, I cried again at that point because I was just like, they can't take, <laughs> no one can take this away anymore. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's locked in stone. Mm. There's no ambiguity there. Um, that made me so fucking happy at the time. It's what you were saying as well. There's a bit at the end of this I just want to read as well. Um, <clears throat> I'll wrap this up with some incredible words that Mike and I received in a message from a Fora Cora crew member. He's a deeply religious person who devotes much of his time and energy not only to his faith but also to helping young people. He and I have starkly different belief systems, but it is heartwarming and encouraging that on this issue we are aligned in a positive progressive direction. And this is the comment. I've read enough reviews to get a sense of how it affected people. One very well-written article in Vanity Fair, this will be from uh, Joanna Robinson, I'm sure, mm. called it sub- subversive in a way, in a good way, of course. I would say a better word would be healing, which I thought was very mm. interesting because of exactly yeah, what you said. Totally. I think your finale was healing for a lot of people who fell out, uh, feel outside or on the fringes or that their love and their journey is somehow less real or valuable than someone else's. That is somehow that's somehow less valid. I know quite a few people in that position and have a lifetime of that on their shoulders. And in one episode of television, you both relieved and validated them. That's healing in my book. And then it's just love blind. Oh. So even the creators, yeah. like to them, that was their intention. And ah, just yeah. I never read that quote before, but it's a, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And just uh, hearing you say that, and that was just your experience, mm. and then hearing that that like it, and is validated exactly what they were hoping or mm. were trying to achieve with that. And as you said, he also says in this as well that they had this idea for quite a while, at least as early as some meant, thought about in season one, definitely wanted to actively incorporate since season two, season three. They never thought that Nickelodeon would be up for actually doing it. Mm-hmm. And while they still couldn't do the kiss, they were surprised by how far Nickelodeon were willing to go. Yeah, that's and great. And that they were going to have it be just holding hands and that the look was definitely added once Nickelodeon said, actually, go for it. Which yeah, I thought was pretty cool. cool too. So that's on Nickelodeon's part, not bad either. Um, should we talk about the three-year jump, which we yeah, haven't had before? Yeah, sure. Yeah, how do we feel about that? I mean, I thought it was a great change. I mean, I think it allowed our players to mature over time. We mm-hmm. saw a little bit of that and to create new dynamics, which I think was important because things were starting to get a little stale, I think. Sure. Um, and also I like because... With a three-year jump, there is inherent mystery in that of like what happened in between and we weren't given all of the information on a silver platter, which made me feel as though this season felt more mature than other seasons. I, I felt at that point, I was like, oh, they're not giving us everything. I felt like I had to work a little bit more than other seasons, which I liked. Yeah. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, no, I think it's it's good. That that first episode's bold that it just basically has no core until mm. the very end. The Legend of Korra and, and we're left on what is basically a cliffhanger at the end of season three. Where is she? She's in a well, season end of season three and she's just in a really oh, yeah, bad she's place. She's mm. like physically like crippled essentially or physically mm. in a really bad way. And she looks like 
internally she's struggling as well. And so to ha- not have her not get that instant like, well, where's Cora now? Mm. And you get to the end of that and she's she's in that ring. Or she's staring to that. No, the next episode is where she's staring into the mirror, the broken mirror at the start of it. Um, but yeah, and just to get to that, it's like she's got a haircut and she's shit at bending all of a sudden and she's by herself. And uh, like, we, we can't pass over the haircut. And the haircut's that. pretty cool. She looks amazing with the haircut. <laughs> the haircut is such a good choice. It's interesting because that, the, her pig, her ponytails, pigtails, if you want to call them, the braids at the front mm. were sort of iconic to her look. Like that's, if you do a silhouette of Cora, one of the things you do is got to be that hair. So to make it something, to shorten it and make it different is a bold choice. It, in yeah. animation, in animation sense, it's less... Um, Specific, it, it's a less mm-hmm. obvious characterization for her, and I, th- I think it like that is so symbolic though of, of her journey removing the idea of like I am the avatar, mm. I am a symbol, taking all away of like this. So, we, I'm pretty sure she has that same hair when or very similar hair when she's the very beginning when she's younger and she just runs in and she's like, I'm the avatar, deal with it. She's got like the, the same high ponytail. Oh, and yeah, stuff. it's never like it's consistent. That's who she is. Yep. And so now it's just like, I don't think I am that. Mm. What's her of, image of herself? Get rid of it. Yeah, totally. It's a total totally different. So, like, it's all about self image and self discovery and the removal of one to uncover the other, which is really cool. I mean, this is the... It's been three seasons of Cora going through or being tested in a lot of similar ways. It's that constant test of, like, she, where she's so different to Aang. Aang was the reluctant hero. She was, like, raring to go. Mm. She has this power. She Overconfident, just wants, hubris, all that shit. She yeah, yeah. wants to be great at being the Avatar. She feels like it's what she's here to do. Mm-hmm. And... Every single villain along the way has done the same thing to her, which has depowered her, has taken away what she values most, and that is her ability to be the strongest, to to be a fighter and those sorts of things. And this time around with Zaheer, it's more permanent. It's She can heal, but she's never been crippled for so long um, and been without power for so long. And it is, it, it breaks her. Like that image of her at the start of episode two of her looking into that broken mirror. Um, mm. She is uh, she's a shattered person. Her identity, herself, how she identifies in herself, how, her self-belief is gone. And like yeah. why I love is like the way they demonstrate that in Cora alone as well, that second episode. When we go back to her when she's trying to heal um, with Katara and stuff. And obviously, that's a big struggle for her. And there's a lot to talk about if you want to talk about like chronic illness and stuff like that. But once she's up and running again, she starts doing her firebending and she's doing that that sparring bit. When we are first introduced to Cora, like teenage Cora, she is kicking ass with fire in her firebending mm. sparring stuff. And we have the same music cue in the same location mm. and she fails. And so not only is she, you know, she's not, progressed since then she's taken she's worse off than she was when we were first introduced to her basically that's how far back she was i think like that seems like well similar things have happened each season like i can't remember if it's between season one or two or two and three where she's talking to must be between one and two um or at the beginning of two where she's talking to marco and saying how she defeated the bad guy season one mm. when really like it's a bit more complicated. She actually got quite fucked up from that fight. Yeah. And so her ability to recover um, 
gives her a bit of memory loss, I think, on the lessons that she perhaps should have learned. And while, yes, that has a lot to do with how these seasons were put together and all of that stuff, but just like from a narrative perspective, we can see the fact that she has like learned lessons along the way, but she has certainly regressed oftentimes. Whereas this one, having such a long stretch of time, not being able just to move forward because she's physically strong. She Mm. can say, oh, I can barrel through anything. I don't really need to think about the psychological ramifications of what's happened. I can just do whatever. Whereas this just has simply not allowed her to do that. And there's still something wrong. And even when she, you know, cuts her hair off and she's back in the ring, there's something fucking wrong. And she doesn't have the facilities yet to deal with it. Oh, no, sorry. She does have the facilities. She just isn't using them because I think Tenzin has taught her a lot about that kind of thing, but she's still shocked by what it means to feel truly powerless. Well, there's a few things in a state of shock a lot in that, the first few episodes she is. And there's a couple of things she's, I mean, the way she was lucky, as you said, the first couple of times she was depowered is she was Mm. able to regain that power quite quickly Mm -hmm. within like, Hours, yeah, days at the worst, right? This time around, not so easy. And when it's going to be a long healing process, she is separated from her friends mm-hmm. as well, and she's left to do it alone. So, like, the thing that she maybe doesn't realize about what's made her powerful has been so lo- much along the way has been her relationship with Tenzin, with Bolin, with Marco, with Asami, with her friends, and then she's taken away from that as well, and she struggles. Like, yes, she has that ability inside mm. herself too, but so much of that came from her relationships and removed that from her, and she's left pretty helpless. Um, the I also I'm just really appreciate seeing a kid's show that, like, deals with something as real as, like, chronic illness like that. And, mm. like, the as someone who works in health, Sometimes what's worse than the actual acute symptoms of like pain is just the length of time it goes on for. The frustration mm. that comes with that is almost worse than the actual pain. Just why isn't this getting better? You know, why can't I make better progress or heal fast and that sort of stuff? And that is so taxing on somebody. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's certainly like a shocking experience when you understand your like you are so attached to your body which is i think most people are until they've had like a severe illness or chronic Mm. illness or whatever it might be so attached to their body and there is real no like separation totally um of the mind and the body and then when something like that happens such a physical person yeah and then when something like that happens you understand that it is detached yeah that you are still you but the thing that you have valued the most your body isn't actually you, you mm. is your mind, your body is something else. And when those things are detached, it's a mind fuck. Mm. And it's a huge maze to go through to find clarity through. It's not a problem you can punch your way through. No. You know? Which again has been Cora's thing. do not have the ability to do that. We talked yeah. about that as being maybe a weakness at the end of season two is kind of like, this is meant to be like a spiritual journey mm. for her. And then she just turns into a blue monster. I'm a giant. And punches... Mm. Unavatu. It's like, what did she learn from that? And maybe she learned nothing. It's like and that's kind of spiritual, but otherwise not spiritual at all. But yeah. that leads to this, which mm. is much more of a spiritual journey and a real spiritual journey for Cora, where she needs to learn that what was stopping her at the end of this was her herself, her fear and not being able to let go of that trauma. And what I also loved is it would be so, so, so easy, but it shows just how much these 
storytellers know what they're doing to just go, oh, the poison, oh, oh you've healed, you're better now. Or mm. the, you defeated your sort of um, doppelganger Cora. Or we got the all the poison out this time. And it's like every time you think like, oh, I'm finally better. Mm-hmm. And then she has that fight with Kuvira. It's like, well, I'm not better yet. <laughs> Apparently, I'm not. Yeah. It's- Why aren't I still better? And it's no easy solution. This is a yeah. multi-step process. Yeah. it's That's the thing. It's like, you know, it. Yeah, it is a multi-step process. You can like, there's always someone be like, oh, if you take this, if you do this, yeah. you will be better. And usually a lot of the times for a couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months, you are until you're not. Mm. And then because you've slid backwards, it's the end of the fucking world. Yeah. And it is an crippling once more. And you're, you feel like you're starting from the beginning, which obviously you're not. Um, but that's that's how it feels, and like they have totally captured what it feels to be like physically incapacitated to feel because of that vulnerable, the post traumatic stress disorder, like attached to that. Like there's, she just hates that other people think she's not capable as well. Her mm. thing has always been like people. Th- she says herself, people used to think oh, I'm, I was unstoppable. Now they don't think I'm capable of anything. That's like mm. her worst fear: the idea that people don't think she can she can do it. She's always been hyper capable. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's like this cycle of like she's upset and angry that people don't think that she's capable, and so she wants to overcompensate because she also has that fear, and it's just like this bad, weird circle of like fear feeding for fear, and it's all in her mind. Yeah. It's all her perception of others, her perception of self, and it's just feeding this toxic circle of like. Bad behavior, yeah. So, what do you think about the the scene where she sort of finally seems to overcome her funnel barrier, where she visits Sahir, um, and this was the person that almost killed her last season, who was always in a complex villain because he definitely had some fair points to be made about his mm. ideology, but obviously yeah. extremely extreme in those views. Do ultimately she not just confronts him, but he helps her to break through that sort of final barrier. How do you feel about that scene? Was that, did that make sense to you? Was that earned? Was that real? Mm, good question. I think when it comes to realness, I think it's real for the character of Zakia, who is a highly spiritual person mm-hmm. and he is trapped at that point. So all he has to do is like sit and meditate. And mm. so, yeah, I think him having the access to Cora and having that connection, I, that felt real to me. Mm-hmm. Was it earned? Did it feel kind of easy? Yes. Um, but I also, so in that level, yes, it's it feels very quick and like, oh, that was that was simple. Like he didn't try and like murder her yeah. and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but, but that doesn't bother me too much, I don't think. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it was, it's also a perfect point to reiterate to the audience exactly what we're doing here now of, of where we have been in the past and where like he's such a good villain uh-huh. and we, we all acknowledge that he has really good points and I think it's a really great place for the show to acknowledge that as well and see that the world within the show is acknowledging that and be like, oh, well, th- yeah, yeah, that's, that's the lesson mm-hmm. is that it's not bad guy, good guy. It's like a lot of our villains have come from a place of, well, the world isn't right for me or my people or my ideology. And I think I can, I think I can make it better. Mm -hmm. I think this is the way to make it better. 
and it's the absolutism that is the problem. It's not the ideology. Totally. And so it's that it's it's that moment of finally being like, oh, Corey doesn't have to always be like, oh, you're the bad guy. I'm going to beat you. It's like, oh, you did bad things, but maybe there's something that I need to listen to. So there's there's a lot that you just said there that I 100% agree with. I would just say as well, I think the easiness would upset me of that moment would upset me more if she hadn't had those other moments along the way. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. all those other moments of healing. This was just the last one. And yeah, it came a little bit easy, but fuck, she'd struggled to oh, get yeah, to that. Oh yeah, no, I, w- I wasn't talking about like, yeah, this is the moment of her healing. <clears throat> yeah. I think more of like in a broader sense of what the season was meaning and also just like the personal relationship between the two. Sure, sure. But yeah, as for her personal healing, yeah, no, I didn't feel like it was cheap or anything. There's... The discussion just about villains in general in this show, mm. while most of the really bad ones have died, so especially Unalok and Aman, mm. uh, Zahira stayed around, and some of the minor villains also have redemptive arcs this season. Varric has gone from being a sub-villain to being one of our heroes. Mm-hmm. Hiroshi Sato, Asami's dad, mm. is also having yeah. like this like reflection back on well, I made bad choices, I did terrible things, and can you ever forgive me? And trying to... Like, this idea that people aren't just... And, like, honestly, if we just think about The Last Airbender, what was the best storyline in that entire show? Zuko. A redemptive yes. story from <laughs> bad guy to to good guy, right? All I could think about was them kissing at the end. I was like, <laughs> I know that's not true. Oh, sorry, I was in the wrong place. That definitely sorry. wasn't it. No, it wasn't. Uh, sorry, of course it was. But do you know what I mean? Good. Like, it's been a yeah. part of the DNA of Avatar forever. And, mm. and like, they did three seasons of it with Zuko, which, you know, really earned that that arc for him. But it's... They, this season mm. makes an effort to have to have this up multiple times, which is also great because once you get to Kuvira, it's important that we have that moment at the end where Korra understands that, like, you know, I'm saving you for a reason because, yeah, you've done shitty mm. things, but also that there is we have a lot in common and I I understand that you thought you were doing this for the right reasons, but you've, your ideology is mm. just too extreme. And- I mean, yeah, it's so true that if, like, the ethos about... This entire universe yeah. is simply about like people are not simple. Yep. People are complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think one of the characters says about Kuvira at one stage, so like, yeah, she's, she's complicated. Uh, Sue says that she's a complicated yeah, woman. She's a complicated woman. Yep. It's like, yes, like it's, it's, yes, this is a kid's show, but we don't have to shy away the, from the fact that we all have good thoughts and bad thoughts. Kids have good thoughts and bad thoughts. Adults do as well, but they have the power to create actions and experiences for for others that can be very good or very bad. We are all incredibly complicated creatures mm-hmm. and that is fascinating. The simple good guy, bad guy is fucking boring. It's been boring for a very, very long time mm-hmm. and this is a kid's show that's actually exploring it. Absolutely. So in saying that, do we want to talk about Kuvira? Yes, please. It's kind of what I was going to get to next. Uh, the Great Uniter. Mm, good uh, name. Good title. It is a good Ooh. title. Yeah. That's uh, great marketing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well done. I mean, honestly, you watch those first couple of episodes and until you realize that she's got slave labor camps and re-education camps and all this sort of stuff going on, she's kind of like, I get it. The yeah. Earth Kingdom has fallen. Uh, it's in chaos. Someone's going to pull this shit and together. And the Earth Kingdom has always been a shit shit storm of like oppressed people 
the I, I like what you think what could be worse, and then she says slave camp. She's like, ooh, okay, you answered it. The it's I think we said this I think said this last time. It's interesting how this show has now given us villains from every nation as well. No one is immune. We've had Fire Nation bad guys, obviously, with the original show, and then a couple of different waterbenders. We never had air. Yes, we did. We had Airbender last season. Could- oh yeah, because he became an Airbender. Correct. Okay, yeah, yeah. Right, and then. And then finally, we have the Earthbender. And the Earth Nation has always been... Like, again, if you think about the last Airbender, you sort of got two nations that were really in war. Mm. And the Water Tribe and the Air Nomads were kind of just like the victims of their war. Yeah. Right? And they've always been the two, like, superpowers in the world, the Fire Nation and the Earth and the Earth Kingdom. And so, it's no surprise that the Earth Kingdom has this ability to just turn itself into, like, an all-conquering... A war machine. War machine. Yeah, that's totally. to- It's always been there. Even when they were That's on the side of the good like the largest landmass, hasn't it? That by far, yeah. 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 By, by a long way. Mm. Um, and yeah, they've always had that ability. Even when they were the quote-unquote good guys or on the good side in the original show, they were still, there's a lot of bad elements there. Mm. The, uh, what were they called? The Dai Li? Yeah, and they they just weren't the bad guys because they weren't the fine nation. That's but it. they were not good, the good guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and Kuvira, but but she does seem to be doing the right thing early on. I totally get why Bolin was on board with Kuvira, mm. you know? She's building these trains. She's saving these people from the I mean, Bolin's bandits. family was impoverished, living in the lower yeah. rings, and this woman comes along and is like, oh, no, we're going to strip all that away. Your family now has food, has access to whatever they need. Mm-hmm. Of course, he's going to be like, oh, my God, you are, yeah, the great uniter. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, he'd buy that. Mm. Um, and then, of course, she turns out to be Hitler. But whoopsie! <laughs> but you know that's true to life too. Hitler, in let's let's shouldn't go into these broad terms, but you know, dictators are attractive because they sell you on this idea of a strong nation of of prosperity, and that's what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they work. Yeah, they unite you through one. Yes, you're all the greatest, mm-hmm. and two, the that small group of people over there are the worst. That's that's literally the game plan every single time, and it fucking works every single time. Mm, that's does. how they do it. So, what do you think about Kuvira as a character overall? We understand that she's a great uniter. She's mm. gone a little bit power hungry. She wants to com- have complete control. Mm-hmm. Do we think the show go gets there and explaining that and how she ended up there? It does a little too late. In it my does mind. happen very late, very late in the yeah. game. Yeah. I think there's certainly a couple of scenes in there between Kuvira and. The son, what's Batar his name? Junior. Batar Junior. Um, that could have taken place about her explaining about her childhood. Mm. Maybe that would have informed what was happening. Um, up until then, I was like, oh, I get it. She's just a bit of like a power hungry dictator, a fascist. Sure. Um, I always wondered, like the the connection from you came from an extremely progressive background in terms of like, um, uh, what's the name of it? Zhao Fu is mm. like this like progressive paradise, you know. And then somehow turned into this fascist is like, uh, how do, how did that happen? Mm. I mean, I, I think the explanation is good. I think it's, I like it too. it's not well-timed. No. I think it could have been better structured overall. It's just almost but- too subtle. Like, we know that mm. she's an orphan. We know that Sue took a ring. We know that she was upset when Sue didn't stand up to take control. Yeah. And then she sort of stepped into that role. But yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is like this show is a kid's show um, and things can be subtle, but that was very subtle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably a bit too subtle. Game of Thrones wouldn't be that subtle. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, certainly not in the last few seasons. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, so I, I, I 
like the motivation, it made sense, but yeah, like I said, too late. Mm. Um, but I, I liked Kuvira as a bad guy. I particularly liked the last showdown. Yeah. I thought that was pretty incredible and well-crafted, I think. Do you, for what do you mean the, the fight between her and Cora specifically? Or do you mean the last interaction between them when they're in the spirit wilds or just the whole thing in general? So, so both. So I like I like the choreography and all of the, the how that was crafted. That big battle scene was yep. awesome. With but, the giant mech. Yeah, yep. but also I love them in the, the spirit wilds. Yeah. I think that is really fantastic storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um. Because obviously, like, Cora and Kavira are having this huge battle and Kavira's got a fucking massive gun and it's, like, losing control through all the vines. It's it's a fucking nuts. It's a fucking shit show. Um, and Kavira is beaten down by force, which we've seen before. And we're like, ugh, does she always have to, like, beat them That's right. physically? Yeah. But then that violence isn't what changes her. It's the compassion that Cora shows. Yep. And obviously Kavira has felt pain before and pain can make you feel alone. It's the lie that we tell ourselves in order to create distance because distance feels like safety. Mm-hmm. But Cora reaches into that distance that Kavira has built and shows her that pain is not a solo affliction you know, Cora has it too. We all have it. And yes, you know, it's a great sentiment that love connects us all, but the shared human experience of pain is what glues us together. It's not a bad thing. There's beauty in it because it lets us see each other. And I think that's a really beautiful way to end the last villain of Cora. I think that's exactly what Cora says, isn't it? it I need to understand what true suffering was mm-hmm. so that she can be more compassionate towards others. And there, and just, it, it's a great choice, I think. It's like, you often see this in in fantasy and mm. anything where the, it's sort of like the doppelganger, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, we've already the had nega. the yeah. nega version, right? And we've sort of already had that with like, the Dark Avatar in season we two, right? But that was more just from a power point of view. This one, they are similar in the sense that they are similar age. Mm-hmm. They're both women with a lot of power. They're fierce and determined to succeed. And it's that need for control they mm-hmm. they both sort of have. Yeah, and they have so much in common. And, and they've always been chosen parts. that they're special. Like Kuvira is adopted by this incredible woman, yeah. grown up to be her protege. She's mm-hmm. like, I am incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to have that, I think it's the that's the perfect place to have that, and to have Cora be able to see that mm. and see herself reflected in Kuvira. Uh, yeah, exactly how you want this story to end, exactly where you want Cora's arc to end. Mm-hmm. Perfect, and I do love that. The other thing I love about Kuvira as a villain this season is all our other villains um, have been disconnected from the rest of our cast. Like, Aman has his backstory, but it's not related to anybody that we know in any way, shape, or form. Unalok is, but it's not really. Like, yes, she's Cor- he's Cora's uncle, but in only in name. Like, there's yeah. no... They name have and no- politics with her dad. Like, it, do- it doesn't feel like a real, like, oh, you've hurt me because you are my uncle or because yeah, you're my no brother. Yeah, there's no relationship between the two, really. He's just a fucking zealot. And that's the yeah. problem. That's why I love, I gotta say, I do love they call out that Unalok is terrible in the in <laughs> remembrances. Yeah. We're just like, yeah, he is very unpopular and boring. Um, And then again, I love... um. Zahir, but he is disconnected again. Mm-hmm. He's he's got his own family, and they've got their own reasons, and that's great. But it's not, so Kuvira being so closely tied to the Bayfongs, who we have come to know 
through Lynn through the first two seasons, through Sue and Opal and everybody else through season three, which again, it just makes me appreciate all the stuff in, in um, Zalfu even more from mm, season three. It's good stuff. It yeah. is good stuff. It ties it, yeah, to make it more personal, to make it more family orientated, mm-hmm. to make it more meaningful on a on a relationship level than just being the big dictator is so much more interesting to mm. me. I love they did that as well. Speaking of the Bayfongs, mm. guess who makes a return to the Avatar series? Oh. <laughs> My pers- no, no, I'll get it. Oh. <laughs> Toph? Yes, Toph, Nailed correct. It. My favourite character from the uh, the original show. <laughs> and one of those ones, it was a, you know, it was bad. I wish they hadn't spoiled in the marketing that Toph was going to be in it. Because yeah. if she just showed up at the end of episode two, it was fucking tough. Oh, my God. I don't I think I saw her in the marketing. I think I was mind. genuinely surprised. Yeah. Um, I love that we find her in the Banging Grove, um, which is where Aang first had a vision of Toph. We first saw, like, the like the image of Toph in that, in, in the original Avatar. That's I love cool. your knowledge. Yep. I didn't know I rem- that. I remember that's all cool. that stuff. That's fucking cool. No. Uh, and I also just love the shadow... That you realize Toph has left over this entire story, like the Korra, mm. right? Toph has had a massive influence on the world in terms of metal bending. She's and changed the fucking world. Totally. And yeah. she's left these two incredible daughters mm-hmm. who have both had huge impacts on the world in their own ways as well. And yet she has chosen, she is like Bolin's hero. She has completely changed the way the world works. And she has disappeared and lives on her own as a hermit in the fucking forest. Which I gotta say as well, it's hard sometimes to get someone to play like an aged up version of a character, get a mm. different voice actor in. I really like the voice actor they chose. I think she nails she it. Nails exactly what All Old right, Toph so would be like. When I heard that voice actor, yeah. I was like, oh, cool. The original actress is doing an old lady <laughs> voice. And then only after I watched it, I found out it wasn't fucking no. her. It was so well done. Yes. So well nailed it. So I didn't feel Absolutely that way about Zuko. It. I didn't feel like Zuko's no. voice was really like that. Even Aang's kind of there, but not quite. Aang's is not there. Katara's not really. They're just, just, just old voices I mean, on these lovely. Katara's is lovely and comforting. Sure. And I can believe that it's her, but it's Katara not like. Katara was fierce in the original show. She has none of that. And well, the writing isn't there for sure. her to have that. Sure. Um, but yeah, this is mwah, gorgeous. But uh, I also think like, now that you've said that, the writing of a lot of those older characters are so different from how they were in the original. Yeah. That it's just like, it's hard for those voice actors to then like put those inflections in, in the writing that isn't there. Whereas you felt with Toph, it was more consistent. Fucking attitude all the way through. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, so, so well implemented. Mm. Um, she's a joy when she's there. I do love, I love the um, Bay, Mission Bayfong as well when they get mm-hmm. Toph back in one more time and it's yeah. like all the Bayfongs going to save Sue. Family and, reunion. And Bolin just gets to be there. Oh my God, you're my hero Fan as well. the whole time. I love that. I love the whole thing. Um, the idea that Toph was a bit of a shitty mum totally makes sense to me. Yeah, that's that's pretty much my note, is that the fact that she is a very interesting mother figure and not one that we see very often. No. She is flawed. She has fucked up. And she can't fix it because she's tough and wouldn't know how to start. No. At all. That's just who she is. She's not made to be a mum. Or the idea of what we think a mum should yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not... Yeah, she hasn't got that nurturing... Well, you look at the way that she taught Aang back in... You know, Avatar. Mm. You just look at the way she teaches Korra. Now she's just yeah. 
She doesn't have that nurturing spirit. Not at all. Um, and I love that we get to see a little bit more of like annoyed, pissed off Lynn. We sort of <laughs> have been missing that for a while because she sort of had some uh, resolution with her mm. sister. And one more time, she's just like the face when yeah. Bolin asks who's Sue's dad in, and she, the look she gives Bolin is just oh. Genius. But also, like, totally justifies... Totally justifies. ...her harshness, her frustration. Like, when she's pissed off at Toph, I'm like, yeah, fuck you, Toph. Like, you're a fucking asshole. Makes sense. Love it. Um, yeah. No, I really like that stuff as well. It was cool. So, it's funny because we've sort of discovered in season two... Season two, season three. Whichever one it was. What season two, I think it was. That we sort of discovered that Aang was maybe not the best dad ever either. Like... He sort of over. I'm pretty sure it was season two. Season yeah. two, he like overemphasized his his. Because before Boomy was on, an airbender, because right. he falls down the cliff. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and good memory. And yeah, he really put too so much energy into Tenzin mm. and sort of left Boomy and Kaya out of that loop, and they felt like Dad wasn't. You know, I. I I love that they are so diametrically different people, Aang and Toph, and yet they both sort of have they would did not grow up to be perfect parents or perfect adults. Mm-hmm. Um that's it's bold of a story to do that with these characters that are so reverent to make them go like yeah. And so beloved to be like actually so they're you know, you think they would be awesome friends. I'm sure they are. Not great parents. Not great parents. Yeah. <laughs> that was really interesting as well. Uh I did want to talk about Varric as well. Mm. Because I think he's kind of a showstopper, a, a sort of scene stealer this season. You think? Yeah. Yeah, he is. Absolutely. He, John Michael Higgins is so great in that role. I mean, he's one of the greatest comedic actors of our generation. True, true. Um, and he is so funny and performs Varric so beautifully. He's just like, every time he's on screen, I'm giggly. I'm, either, I'm giggly immediately because I, I know it's going to be good. I'm laughing or I'm rooting for him because he mm-hmm. like, Varric goes, like he's, he's just a funny character and pretty kind of like devious villain season two. Mm. And then this one, we get to see him having a like crisis of like morality. Mm-hmm. And he, he develops a conscience, develops which is a very good. voice in his head. What's his voice in my head? Head voices are liars. Um, <laughs> uh, but that like, and he you know, makes a firm stand that he will not build this, what's essentially like a par- parable for the atomic bomb. Like, I'm not mm. going to build this super weapon for you. And... Then loses Julie, which is, you know, that's very funny and fun. Um, so good. Boy, man, he just steals so many so many scenes and it's so much fun. I'm really glad they found a place for him. And he's a great team up with Bolin. Mm, like, they good. are a really good sort of, like, double act going on there as well. How do you feel about the Varric and Julie relationship? Yeah, interest, interesting question. Um, so, it's... Hard to categorize because it seems very abusive. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but ultimately, I always have had the understanding that Julie is a billion times smarter than Varric sure. in a lot of ways. Sure. And so she, well, yes, does a lot of things that he asks of her. One, I believe she always has the ability to say no and leave chooses not to. I'm assuming she gets paid as well. Yeah. Like, she's employed. Yeah, she's his employee, which is inappropriate. <laughs> um, True. 
yeah, so she has the ability to leave and doesn't. She, I do believe that she's smarter than him. Um, and I think she has a great adoration for him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like she looks at him like a bit of a sad lost puppy. Sure. And so that is my interpretation of the relationship. I understand that's not everyone's interpretation. Yeah. And I think the other interpretation is very fair and valid yeah. from what we've seen. Yeah. Um, do I think it should have ended with them getting married? No, I don't. Sure. I think it should have probably ended with Varric being like, you know, marry me and her being like, no, I'll go out with you maybe. Um, but sure, running to marriage was a yeah, little bit too quick. It's a bit much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know because I find Varric genuinely good-natured and when he's not good-natured, genuinely seems lost. Yeah. Um, I don't, he doesn't seem at this point, at least in the series, not malicious in any way. I don't have a problem with it. It's funny. They, they kind of almost try to like retroactively fix a few problems from season two. Like they said, you like, you blew up the water tribe cultural center. I was like, I own that building. Yeah. It's like, a man has a right I to suppose, blow up his own building. <laughs> I suppose that's possible. I mean, he is from the water tribe. He, he may have been the one. Like, did he own that building? I guess that makes sense. He did try and kidnap the fucking, uh, president. That is true. But, also was doing it for the right reasons because they need troops at the war. It's like, yeah, 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 maybe I can just be on board with Varric just enough. Understand that there's problematic elements Is he there. like a war profiteer? Yes. Yes. Of yes, course he is. he is. There's no way around it. Absolutely <laughs> he is. But is he a lovable cad? Sure. <laughs> Why not? Uh, we forgive too easily. And Julie, she has a right to make her own decision. She does. And she loves him. So that's fine. Anyone else you want to talk about? Do we want to talk about Sami or Marco at all? This is sort of... We had this... You reckon that they were treated fairly well, it sounds like, this Well, season. I think... I didn't mind the Asami stuff with her dad, though I think it should have come earlier in the season. It does happen earlier. It's kind of. There is one episode where she has three <laughs> scenes. They last all about a minute in total. Or, yeah. So, what I mean is like, like interspersed... Oh, I see. Like, better placed is what I'm saying. Sure. Sorry. Um, but I don't mind that. I think that's good. And I think that's something that's really important. Um, Marco, I'm happy for him to be on the side. I'm, I didn't mind the Prince Wu stuff with him. Team up with Prince Wu kind of works in that, like, he is a, he's a straight man. There's no other way to play Marco. He's just not funny. It doesn't have a personality. He's fucking boring. (laughs) So you give him to Prince Wu and there's watching him being tortured, having to follow this guy around kind of works. Yeah, that works for me. Um, (laughs) and also I enjoyed his friendship with Asami. I really did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think they're really cute friends and watching them kind of like they're the last ones left mm-hmm. was kind of nice. Um, so I didn't mind their placement and I knew obviously, I think the thing is like hindsight is very nice. So mm. I know where it's all going and I'm comfortable with that. I don't need Marco to play a big role because I don't think he has a lot to give. So he has that big moment mm. in the finale as well. See, where all he-, he has to give is his fucking body. <laughs> and he couldn't even do that. <laughs> <laughs> Where he is going to stay behind and basically blow up the power source mm. of the uh, of the weapon. And I gotta say, like, take out my th- point. You know, thoughts on Marco was whether he's boring or interesting character or not. I love the way that scene plays out. Oh, the music great. is fucking epic. Him with the lightning bending and stuff. Yeah. It's I was awesome. Like, yes, this is what you do with Marco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He comes in, he does some cool shit because he's. A very impressive guy when it comes to that Very stuff. Very good bender. And the way he kills May 
I can't remember her name now. The water bender. May Whitman. Oh, no. <laughs> May Whitman. She no, that was Katara. That right. was that was a fellow. <laughs> Callback. Uh, Ming Wa, the water bender with the water arms. Mm. In oh fuck man, that's yeah. still one of the best action scenes it's in the entire terif- show. It still scares me just thinking about it. Um, yeah, I think that's like the best way. He's a, a soldier. Yeah, he's boring. He's a blunt instrument. Yeah, and I think that's what you need to do with Marco. Not much more can be done. I, I kind of wish he died, but. I wish Tenzin died last season, but you know, we don't always in, in get what we notes, want. He has nothing to do this season. Because he should have died last season. He should have died last season. It would have made this season mean so much more. It would have. Yeah. All the things that she learned from him. Yep. He had nothing to and do. And also, like, so if Tenzin had died last season, not only Cora's like physical vulnerability, but the fact that she lost him, you could totally understand. I think you still can, but I think it would mean so much more now why she is so traumatized. So, well, there's guilt and trauma and yep. just that she's lost without her greatest teacher. Deep sadness and, yeah, the loss of a teacher. Like, fuck, it would have Ugh. been incredible. They should have killed Tenzin. They should, Tenzin should have died. Yep. And I say that as someone who loves Tenzin, mm. he should have died. Yeah. Like... That would have been the right move there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Marco too could have easily died at the end there. That's I don't true. think anyone would have killed all the men. The only no. the only problem with Marco dying is people would have said, oh, she only went to Asami because was, Marco was dead. Yeah, good point. So yeah, keep yeah. him around, make him an ally, which is cool. Mm-hmm. He sort of like, I'll always be there to back yeah. you up. I'm not going to. And, yeah. and as much as Remembrances is a bad episode, the that lesson he comes to, which is like, I learned to just sort of like, you know, be their friend. That's like that's the correct lesson, Marco. Well done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good work. It's apparently a hard lesson to learn for some. <laughs> Sorry, are you directing that at anyone in particular? Oh, and Marco. I oh, don't know okay. why you were taking it personally. So no, I was like, sorry, yeah. was that was that pointed at me? It wasn't at all. You fucking weirdo. <laughs> Any last words? Final thoughts. That's why you always leave a note. Any side notes to mask? I hate Milo. Yeah, Milo does not work, does he? I don't think he's funny at all. No. And that episode where, like, the three kids are off together. Mm -hmm. Shut up. Just shut the fuck up. I don't want him to speak. I don't find his farting funny at all. Do you think it's just that's just aimed at a different audience so we just need to be like... Yes, I think that's absolutely what it is. I think it's the whole Jar Jar Binks of it all. Kind of, You know what I mean? Like, little kids... As much as adults shit on that movie, kids love Jar Jar Binks and yeah. he's hilarious. That's what Milo is. My girlfriend loves Jar Jar Binks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, actually, that makes sense because you do look like him a bit. Thanks. <laughs> I'm joking. Because uh, the, the, that ends up being sort of the Iki episode in a way. It's like... Yeah, which is never, great. The yeah. stuff I love. But just Milo is a monster. <laughs> Not only is he annoying, he's a fucking asshole. Yeah, he is. Ugh. There's nothing redeemable about no. about. I do like Pema's bit where it's like, can you handle this really mob? It's like, I raised Milo. I, yeah, go Side on. Side note. So, Marie Bamford. Yes. Um, who obviously does her voice. Yes. I went and saw her for Melbourne Comedy Fest. You did? Because she's my favourite comedian of all time. And she was great. That was my little side note. Oh, she you didn't do a Pema impression or anything like that? or No, that would be weird. Though I did see her at stage door. Yeah. But I refused to... Be that person. So, I just walk straight past her. You're <laughs> too cool for that. I am too cool. Uh, do you think Ken Tenzin should have died? Oh, giant mech. That mm. I just want to talk about that for a second. Oh, yeah. Cora mm-hmm. turned into a sci-fi show so gradually, I barely even noticed. There is a fucking anime Evangelion Neon Genesis giant loved fucking it. mech it. in this. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. My first impression when I, when I watched mm. the first time was like, have we 
have we pushed this a little bit too far? I don't think so. I think it works really well, push. ultimately. And also, just the mechs, like, technology has increased. Like, mm. it's ridiculously rapidly increased in Korra. But, like, mech suits were, were introduced in the first season of Korra. And even before we get to the giant mech suit, they have, like, these advanced on-legs mech suits that mm. the Earth Nation has in this. Mm-hmm. Like, this technology is building. I think, yeah, totally. But, I I mean, because I hadn't watched it since it first mm. aired and so I'd kind of forgotten about all of this and when they were, like, evacuating everyone it was going to come on a train, I was like, well, that's a fucking dumb plan, Kavira. Like, train tracks, they can just, like, you know, fuck them up and then what are you going to do? And I was like, what a dumb dumb. What a huge plot floor and then (laughs) and they have the shaky cam happening and then the legs come round and I was just like "Ah!" (laughs) I actually lost my mind I was like I was scared I was I didn't see it coming I was scared and I was rock hard because it looked cool I was like I'm in. I'm so in for this battle. In- and I didn't grab the clues of like all the little things from um the city. City called? Yeah, the dome. They were talking Z- about Zal- like- Zalfu? Zalfu, yeah. yeah. Just like dismantle the dome. I didn't get those hints until mm. later. I'm like, oh, that's why they get referencing those things were going missing. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I loved it. it. I was genuinely shocked and surprised and it was awesome. Um, the I love the when they first show it right, and those like scouts see it, and it's like mm. call the thing, and they like like the army's coming, they see the mech, <laughs> which it's amazing demonstration. Also, one of the rare times that like oh those guys those guys are dead. Yeah, like normally, like you think about season one when they I had that thought, I was like, oh shit, they dead. They they dead. They dead. Because mm. yeah, often it's like planes get shot at the sky, biplanes get shot at the sky, and like you see the gun. Everyone parachutes away. Nobody dies. <laughs> Everyone always has a parachute Everyone in animated shows. Al- yeah. <laughs> especially in Korra. It's just yeah. like, oh, parachute. They're, they're all right. Um, and this is like one of those instances like, nope, they dead. Mm-hmm. They definitely dead. Oh, uh, Yeah. No, no, it, it works in the end. It was, it, 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 it again, if you just think about like to Avatar Last Airbender, it's like, Giant mech would have been ridiculous in that show, mm. but somehow it works in Korra. And also, like, just like the interaction with everyone else with that mech, I was engaged in that the episode. Sequence. The day of the Colossus, when they are all just like tr- the th- the amount of attempts they have and the mm-hmm. amount of times it just fails. And, and every fails time I'm like, fails. yes, clever, yes, clever, yeah, yeah, and it still doesn't work. Yeah. And for very logical reasons, it's not yeah. frustrating to watch. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. Or you're like, you get your hopes up dashed hopes up dashed oh it's yeah it's really well done really well done battle Agreed. i was just want to quickly point out before we get into least favorite favorite episodes just this season and last season this a little bit as well but this season in particular just lots of ladies getting shit done there's a bit when cora faces kavira for the first time outside zalfu mm. and there's the armies and there are four women talking there's opal there's janora there's cora and there's kavira and it's like i need no man Mm-mm. Don't need no man. And you know what? I didn't fucking notice. Did, yeah, right. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Isn't that cool though that you didn't notice and yeah. you didn't think about it for a second? And there are so many kids who are going to watch this show and not think about like, mm-hmm. oh, why isn't there a boy here? Yeah, because you these are all just extremely capable yeah. women, and it's it should never be a question. It shouldn't. Why isn't there a boy here? I've never asked that question in my life. <laughs> never, ever, ever. And I'll never will. Uh, least favorite. Hold on. Yes. Got a quick question in side notes. So, I got a quick question. What are your thoughts on Prince Wu? Uh, 
problematic early on. Like, he's mm. gross. Yeah, looking back and I was like, oh, no, that's sexual harassment. Yes. Fuck off. Yeah. Yes. Um, I think he's fine. It's like, I don't find it particularly funny. Mm. I There are a couple of moments here and there that are okay. I I'm charmed a little bit by the badger mole singing stuff at the end. I'm charmed quite a bit and I was surprised. I'm like, uh, no. Oh, actually. And you think about it as well, <laughs> he's been talking about badger moles a lot. Yeah. Like, all oh, the fucking time. All the time. He's talking about his dancing badger moles and stuff like that. Um, and I just loved the voice actor's commitment to those songs. I actually really sold it to me. In general, think the voice actor did about as much as you could ask him to do with the stuff he was given. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually like the performance more than I like the idea of the character, if that makes sense. And like, yeah, he gets his little arc at the end where he's like, oh, I'm not really made up for being a prince, um, but I could do public service and let's, you know, put this up to democracy. He's like, oh, that's that's mm. a cool place to end this. It's a good, you know, place for the Earth Kingdom to be going. Um, but yeah, it's uh, like, it feels like he's just trying to make up for Marco. <laughs> Not having anything to do. Yeah. Do you know, it's... Oh, totally. Um, so, in that case, I was like, thank God I've got something else to pay attention <laughs> to. But, yeah, at the beginning, I was like, oh, I fucking hate you. This is going to be annoying the whole way through. But, thankfully, for me, he wasn't. He wasn't an amazing character. But no. he w- certainly wasn't annoying as he was in the very beginning. And I did enjoy the payoff at the end with the badger moles. That yes. did make me laugh quite a bit when he's singing to those guards that are about to capture them. And then, obviously, you know the badger moles are going to come down. They do. It's very satisfying. And it's nice to have a little luck at the end. So, if he's like a side superfluous character, he was okay in my books. I also kind of liked... Again, we're going to get to rem- remembrances in a second. <laughs> but like... As those- my favourite episode... Yes. Yeah, exactly. But that moment, that that little bit where he's like, like, what are you doing, Marco? <laughs> like, like you can't, you what? You were still with Cora while you were with yeah. the son, and he's like, and, and he, I like grandma, like grandma Marco or whatever mm. as well. And she's just like, you're just like your grandma. <laughs> I really just enjoy those yeah. reactions, those little talking heads. Least favorite episode. Here we go. Least favorite episode. Damask. <laughs> Remembrances. <laughs> Episode eight. Remembrances. Because I was, I forgot about it, and Did I was, you? I was really enjoying my time, and I was like binging it, and this came on. I was like, this isn't, this isn't a clip show, is it? And then it kept going and going, and I was so angry. And I was like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? And I was like, I'm so, angry. and so I like, I literally started fast forwarding through bits of it. I was like, I don't give a shit. Don't give a shit. And then Varric's interpretation came up. I'm like, oh, at least this is amusing. Yeah. A different interpretation. I'm like, they should have just done the clip show through Varric's eyes. But anyway, it's awful. It's a waste of my goddamn. I know why they did it. It's not their fault. I but it's do want I want to talk about it because okay, it is like objectively the worst episode of Cora, Avatar, all of it, right? Ever, there is ever, no ever, ever. worse episode. A clip uh, true. show. Some people might know, so yeah, talk yeah. about it. it. And you're like, why the fuck is there a clip show in this show? Mm. And here is the re- reason. Once again, Brian Konetsko, great blogger, he gets all this stuff up. He posted this before the episode aired back in the day. Quote, sometime around a year and a half ago, we were similarly duped on a large scale. We got the news from the higher ups that our book four budget was getting slashed, almost to the tune of an entire episode's budget. We had two options. One, let go a significant number of crew members several weeks early, or two, make a clips episode. We never considered the first option. We weren't going to do that to our crew, and even if we it was sorry, if it were cal- if we were callous enough to do so, we never uh, would have been able to finish the season without them. So, 
basically, it came down to a question of we our budget slashed, we can either um, let these people go early and they just go without pay, or we do a shitty clip show and just do the best we can to make it less shitty. It's about loyalty or sacrifice. And like, and so I think it says loyalty. a fucking lot about the yeah, creators. Absolutely, it does. That like, yes, we can all recognize this is the weakest episode <laughs> of the show, but watching it the second time, undoubtedly the worst episode. <laughs> I was able to just enjoy it for what I knew it was, which was a sacrifice that was made for the sake of people getting paid. I think the thing is, that I was shocked once again. <laughs> I was like, oh, what is this? I knew it was coming. Yeah. I already had it written down. My least favorite episode, <laughs> but and like and. And I did get a giggle out of some of the um, Marco and Prince Wu talking heads. It's like, oh, I know what you're going to say. He's like, actually, I was okay with that one. Um, and things like that. And then um, the, the Varric one, the, when he's doing Unalok, the incredibly boring and unpopular sorcerer from the north. I wish or, it was all of that. And them talking on the, the villains all talking on the phone, having a collect call. And, the, and that's where the stars come from. Like, I <laughs> properly laughed at that moment. Because you got... Um, uh, Michael Higgins, Michael, I got his name wrong. Yes, that guy, Varric's voice actor, mm. um, killing it. Like he's yeah. given it everything. That's why I think he should have narrated the whole thing because he could just sell any line. He could just retell the entire the entire story. Thing. That could have worked. And yeah. Bolin, like you could have done just retelling all of Korra with a little bit more detail and yeah. have him and Bolin just having their little sides. And they do compare. It's like this is the closest thing to an Ember Islands player. We've got this show. Nowhere near as good as Ember Island's great. Player. Yeah. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but you get it's to have a little episode. bit of that. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, your favorite episode, Damas. I yeah, I went back and forth a little bit on this one. Um in your head, but not in your heart. Yeah, exactly. In my head, not in my heart. And so the, in my heart, my heart says last stand. Ah, hundred percent. Episode yeah. thirteen, the last stand is definitely the best ending. Yeah. Um, first episode. But yeah, Day of the Colossus was really engaging and I fucking loved it. Which I find really interesting because you have said multiple times that action is not what... I find it... That's the thing. If if it gets me, I am shocked and thrilled. And that episode absolutely got me. Yeah. I was engaged every... And I think because... In, yeah, Day of the Colossus and The Last Stand is the action, it is... Every action piece is really like a character study and a relationship study in itself. Sure. And so how they engage, who they engage with, mm-hmm. it's all important. And because of that, it's engaging. It's yep. not just bam, 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 all big things are happening. It's like, one, I care about the characters. I care about their relationships. And the action is demonstrating why and how I, that has happened. Which is great. Every time there's a new plan formulated as well, it's because there is another threat. It's mm-hmm. like Kuvira, uh, Kuvira is coming towards the train station. Kuvira is coming towards the tower with the uh, um, EMG thing on or whatever. Like mm-hmm. they're, they're, it, It's got these stakes constantly and you feel the stakes and you feel the size of that Colossus when Bolin and Sue and Lin drop a fucking building on it. Oh, my God. It's and so you see, rad. like, Bolin's, like, forehead, like, oh. his, like, concentration. I'm like, and you, yeah, it's like, bam, and you feel it. It's, yeah, beautifully drawn and, yeah, it's great. It is very, very, mm-hmm. very cool. And what then Korosami, of course, happens at the end. Yeah, of course. And it's like, you can't beat that. <laughs> uh, I'm 100% the same. I just wanted to give an honourable mention to episode six, The Battle of Zhao Fu, mm-hmm. which is two things are happening in that episode primarily. 
Cora is like, everyone's saying, you've got to go out there and fight Kuvira. And she's like, maybe we can come to some sort of compromise. And is trying to like, you know, finagle this and, and do the, the diplomatic thing. And then is ultimately forced to fight Kuvira and fails. Big moment because we thought she was healed at that point. Mm. And it's not that easy. And simultaneously, Varric is deciding, no, I'm not going to build your super weapon. And then when he's forced to, finds a way to sabotage it and is willing to sacrifice himself. And it's like, so good. it's yeah, a that's fucking really great. great episode. And it's an awesome episode for Varric. Uh, uh, Michael Higgins, again, killing it as Varric. Steals the season, I swear. Um, yeah, it's just a really solid episode. Yeah, Lots yeah, of cool stuff cool. happens. But that wasn't my favorite. It was the last end. Yeah. So what's next? What is next when it comes to Avatar? Just wanted to let our listeners know in on a couple of different things. We've got a real life make, well, right? We'll get, we'll get oh, there. Okay, sorry, Chill sorry. Out. Number one, if you loved, you got through all of Avatar and all of Corey, you should know there are comics out there to read. Oh, yes. There's some great sequel comics to Avatar Last Airbender and there's also now the first three um, comics of first one story for Korra. So if you want your Korra Sami fix, go there. Uh, and there is another one no coming. No tits, don't worry, I already looked. There is another one coming later this year, apparently. Um, the You can always go and check out the live action, The Last Airbender movie if you want. Ooh. Don't recommend. Get drunk and watch it with your friends. <laughs> get drunk and get sad because it's so, <laughs> so bad. You could also check out uh, Voltron, Legendary Defender, I think it's called. It's the animated um, series on Netflix. Studio Mir animated that. It's show run by Joaquim Dos Santos and Lauren Montgomery, who were directors for some of Avatar Last Airbender and Korra. There's The Dragon Prince, uh, which is show run by Aaron. How do you say his last name again? Ahas? Ahas. Ahas. He was a writer on on Avatar Last Airbender. It's so good, guys. Like, it is... You, it's it's I'll, I'll put it out there. It's better than Cora, and like it's not finished yet, but I think it might almost be better than Avatar. Uh, now that I'm finally through rewatching all of Avatar and Cora, part of me wants to just go back and watch Avatar again. But I think now is the time for me to watch the Dragon. It's Prince. so good. Yeah, I'm, it's so fucking. I, I, I rewatched need, the first couple of episodes recently, and I was like, I fucking love this show. I, I need to push myself. I need to push yeah. myself to do that. Mm. Uh, and of course, at some stage, God knows when, maybe this year, maybe next year. Netflix has a live action Avatar The Last Airbender series on the way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How, how are we feeling about that? I am quietly confident. Yeah. I know you are very trepidatious. Trepidatious is a great word for it. I want it to be great. I want it to be amazing. I want it to bring more people to the world of Avatar. It's just, that, the show is not that old. It, I don't think live action is going to make the story better. So I don't know why it exists. I think it's probably going to have a more mature take to it. Does it need that? Does it need a more mature take? No, it doesn't need it. I think the show's perfect by itself. But if you want a broader audience that are turned off by cartoon, cartoons, then yeah. Just, yeah. I, I had, a, I had a, a question. Would you be interested... Say there were, What if there was a fifth season of Korra? Say they turned around and said, we're going to do another animated series of Korra. Maybe it's set sometime after, whatever. Would you be interested in that? Yeah, I would. You would? Would you be interested? What if there was a third animated series? So, like, the next Avatar. What if it was, like, go ahead another 70 years and did, like, what would be an Earth Nation Avatar? Yeah, I would. I would be fucking so into that. I was thinking today, I was brainstorming. I was like, what then would that look like? Then you need to watch The Dragon Prince. <laughs> okay. Because I was thinking, like, what if... So, it's, like, an Earth Nation uh, Avatar. But what if, like, 
bending sort of like not like no one's really bending anymore. Technology has advanced so far. It's like a really sci-fi world now. Mm. And like everything's automated. Every non-bender is capable of doing whatever they need to anyway. Bending's just not sort of a thing anymore. And so like what does it mean to be like the best bender in the world when no one gives a shit about bending? Mm. I thought about that and I was like, what happens after that when we get to the Fire Nation where it's like post-apocalyptic? It's like all technology has been wiped out and everyone's having to relearn bending again, including like this... Avatar was like, that'd be a cool series. <laughs> I want more anime Avatar stuff. Look, if you, want, if you want a third series of Avatar... You want me to watch Dragon Prince? Watch the fucking Dragon Prince. It's right. It exists. It's right there. Fine. Fine. It, it exists, people. I'll do it for you. It's... it's do it for you. <laughs> I'll do it for me. Come on. This is imagine what it felt like when I was trying to get you to watch Avatar. Yeah, no, it must be frustrating. It's exactly like this. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Hunting Seasons. We had a lot of fun with this episode because me too. It's it's been mm. fun exploring Cora. Thanks Laugh, for indulging we cried. us. You know, it's the best episodes Hunting Seasons. I, I I would love to think that maybe someone's watched Avatar and Cora for the first time because we were reviewing it. I doubt it, but I I'd love so. to think so. I like to think I'm if that you important. did. Please let us know because that no, makes me yeah, feel special. Yeah, I do have a god complex. That's, <laughs> that's absolutely happened. <laughs> <laughs> you can find more of what we do via our website, huntingseasonspodcast.com. Our logo and design work comes from Sean Kirkpatrick, aka at Shawnee Boy Draws. Uh, our theme song from Jordan Calavis and our bumpers from Lucas Heil of Birthday Loyalty Club. Find links to their work in our show notes. You can find myself, Broderick Gordis, on Twitter at B Gordis, B G O R D E S. If you're trying to contact me right now, you can't because Twitter has been put away on a separate folder on my phone because I don't want endgame spoilers. So I'll get back to you eventually. Damask? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Maskymoo, M A S K Y M O. Now, I will be coming a teacher shortly. Oh. So I might have to be putting everything on private. Yeah, okay. Don't be turned off by that. You can just like request all good, but. That might be happening. Sure, who knows? Who sure. knows? But we'll see. Fair enough. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks to discuss American Gods Season 2. Are you looking forward to that, Damas? Sure. <laughs> in the meantime, <laughs> thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. Bye.